0: From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West.
1: The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike.
0: To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is on there celebrating. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, yes.
1: man!
0: Gets it to LeBron.
1: For three for the win. Yes! LeBron dear.
0: And rings were handed out like candy. Have
1: won. Here's
0: It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bouguet, and it starts right now.
1: Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bouguet, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a regular on the program a fellow sports business classroom alum he also does great work with the site premium hoops and he's also the host of their great podcast sense and scalability which will have a new episode coming out soon scott levine scott thanks so much for coming on
0: well this is the fourth time that we've done this podcast it's an annual podcast and so you know about a month from the regular season, we both knew what had to be done. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're doing our uh, our top thirty players lists, and uh, at this point, Scott is basically forced to do this podcast. So uh, I, I have no idea if he enjoys it anymore, but uh, you know he's uh, he's soldiering on and doing it with me, and I appreciate it. <laughs> but. Uh... The uh, A couple of things that we have to get out of the way at the beginning before we get into our rankings every time is just to mention that, you know, this is a list for the upcoming NBA season. So this this one is going to be for the 21-22 campaign. And then uh, also for the players that we don't expect to play this upcoming season or, you know, are very likely to not play, they probably won't be on our respective lists uh a la Kawhi leonard this year and uh jamal murray is kind of questionable we'll see if uh, he makes either one of our lists this time around but since he's going to miss a good chunk of the season and we don't know what level he's going to be at when he comes back that he is a you know that that has to be considered by both of us when we're, we're making these choices but uh yeah. Was there, I guess, was there anything else I missed Scott before we, we get to our lists?
0: Um, I guess just to cover my butt for when I'm incorrect, just talking about all of the factors at play that go into these rankings. Um, so you talked about how it's for the upcoming season and that opens up a can of worms of, Oh, which players are going to progress? Which players are going to regress? Like, it's not necessarily off of the merits of what we've already seen. Right. There might be some, you know, bold predictions about if a guy like is going to fall off a cliff or if he's, or if another one's going to break out in a way we haven't seen before. Um, and then, you know, as it is with any ranking system, it becomes kind of a really complicated uh, way of measuring how much do you value them in, in context A versus context B. You know, how much do you value, and not to paint with too broad a strokes, how much do you value regular season production versus like matchup versatility in the playoffs? Like there's so many, uh, those are the big ones, I think, regular season versus playoffs, and then regression versus progression um, that are kind of the sliding scales for uh, what kind of breaks some of these ties, which you kind of have to do if you're making a top 30 player list. So a lot of my reasoning might sound kind of like half-hearted and that's because at the end of the day, sometimes like the difference between the 26th and 27th player is really, really minute. And I'm just looking for any reason to separate the two. Um, I don't know. Is that how you kind of felt where it's like, well, I don't know, you know, this is the best I think I can do, but probably still not correct.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was even doing a few, I I was doing some tinkering even just a few minutes before we, uh, we started this so, yeah, it is uh, it is tight with a, with a lot of these choices. And, yeah, I like what you said. There is, you know, it, it differs for everyone how much you value the regular season, how much you value the playoffs. How much of this is just like, oh, if you had a NBA finals game seven, what player would you pick? Uh, all of those things are factored in. But I know even even with us, we sort of differ on how much we value those things. And we also value just the offense versus the defense differently as well.
0: Yeah. I think oh, one big, the biggest point of contention I would say is our difference in philosophy on guard defense, where it's been something that moves a few guys up spots for you. And for me, um, if there is a, you know, great offensive player, who's a poor defender, I'll take him over a good offensive guard who is an average defender or even maybe decent defender.
1: Yeah. Um, that, I think that, uh, that sums up everything quite nicely. So without further ado, Scott, why don't we get into the list and let's hear who, uh, who you have at number one.
0: Oh man, this was tough. Uh, and before I, I'm just going to do some more preambles just to milk it and cover my butt a little bit more. Um, right. order these top seven, however you like top six, top seven, however you like. Um, if you're going to text me or, tweet at my non-existent Twitter account that I ordered it wrong, then you're probably right. Um, but for the sake of ranking, let's go. Um, number one, I had Kevin Durant.
1: Okay. So I have, uh, I have KD two. <laughs> okay. And uh, I would argue that, I mean, I think there's a, there's an argument to be made that Kevin Durant was the best player last season, which is crazy
0: given, you know, coming off of that Achilles injury and all of that. And, you know, I don't think he had like the most impressive string of 82 games, but we kind of saw it in the Buck series, uh, like he can get to what he does almost at will at this yeah. point in his career. You know, I think the, the concern with him was like, you know, if you take him off the Warriors, will, 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 it, will it get kind of tough for him to find his spots? Because he isn't quite the initiator that some of these other guys are, but, you know, if you just surround him with the bare minimum of creation and Nets certainly have done way more than that. But if you just, at this point, just give him, you know, a co creator who doesn't have to be nearly as good as him, he will find his spots. Um, I just like, I don't know how else to say it other than Kevin Durant is just an incredible, incredible basketball player.
1: Yeah, and and when I say he's arguably, he was arguably the best player in the league last season. Yeah, it's mostly based on that playoff performance. His regular season obviously he missed a bunch of time. Uh he he was not anywhere near the the player, I think, in terms of just sheer value that Jokic was in the regular season last year. But yeah, in the playoffs, he was he was sensational. And as great as Giannis was, Durant was clearly the best guy in that matchup. Uh, and, and, yeah, the, the big difference for me between, like, OKC Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant now is you you brought it up, is the idea that he just gets to his spots. It felt like with OKC you could sort of, as the defender, manipulate him and, and get him to go and, and take really difficult shots that maybe he didn't want to take but was still capable of making because he's very good. Whereas now, it, it regardless of how good the defense is, it feels like he knows where his hot spots are how to get to those areas of the floor and he's just gotten so comfortable and confident in his ability to do so and and knock those shots down so who
0: is your number one
1: so this might come as a surprise to a lot of people and i uh, in in previous episodes of the pod if anyone's been listening i have uh, maybe hinted at this but my number one player for the upcoming season is Luka Doncic. All right. So so I had Luka number three last year, which was maybe high for a lot of people last year, but I thought he lived up to that. He was absolutely sensational in the regular season once again. He, he, he mixed up his play style a little bit in that he wasn't getting to the rim quite as much, but he was much more effective and comfortable scoring in the mid-range. And I think that also was just sort of a, a thing that he was doing to prepare himself even more for the postseason to be that three-level score. Uh, one of the other things I mentioned in the pod last year that we did was the idea that, you know, in his first couple of years, he was more like a low 30s percent three-point shooter. Last year, he got up to 35 percent. In the postseason, in that, in that seven-game series, he was over 40 percent from three. So the improvement in the three ball, I think, was huge. And again, it's he's got another year of like a top six MVP on his resume. And uh, he's got another year of a terrific playoff performance as well. And he's at the age where I expect another mini leap. And I already feel like he's he's sort of unstoppable on the offensive end.
0: I think where I might've ranked him lower and I agree with everything you're saying, but since it gets so tight at the top, you look for little things to nitpick. And I guess instead of picking nits, I'll ask you the question that I'm concerned with. Like, obviously there's been a coaching change. Um, Jason Kidd did not cover himself in flowers and as his recent stop as a head coach. I don't necessarily think that detracts from Luca's game. I think he doesn't, it's kind of coach proof a lot of the stuff he does, you know, like any, so anyone can draw up a a spread pick and roll and he'll thrive in that. Um, but I guess what do you see as being kind of, do you see anything as kind of being an adjustment period for him in particular, uh, as they kind of go through this change?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you look at kids time in Milwaukee, I think the, big disappointment was the defense there that he couldn't get a team with Giannis with a lot of talented defenders to be even like average on that side of the ball. And Dallas has been a little bit below average the last couple of years defensively. I would expect that with kid to slide even more to the point where they're, you know, pretty bad on that head. But you know, when, when kid was in Milwaukee, he did institute the point Giannis Uh, He he is somebody that I think understands that, like, we need to put the ball in our best players hands on the offensive end. And and as you said, there's there's a bit of like, you know, a coach can't screw up a basic spread pick and roll. We saw that with Nate McMillan with with the Hawks. You know, he's not known as this offensive mastermind. But when you have Trey Young that can just run pick and roll after pick and roll, that they can still be very good on the offensive end, even if your coach isn't a, uh, you know, a, a great X's and O's guy.
0: Yeah. I think what they're mostly missing on the offensive end without Carlisle is like those, you know, secondary actions that they ran a lot with Seth Curry, uh, Jalen Brunson, um, you know, kind of their frisky, let's say second side creators. Um, I already think that, that some of that was going away when they traded Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. I don't think he fit into like those Carlisle read and react sets. Um, And so it was already shifting in the direction of Luca do almost everything on offense. And so I don't think it will be a huge difference in that regard. I just think that maybe you'll lose a little bit of like juice um, from the guys like Brunson or Tim Hardaway, just because Carlisle's always been good at like raising the floor for those types of lineups um, when that don't have to rely on Luca. But as far as Luca, I, I, you know, I don't think this turmoil, let's call it what it is, will affect his game too much this year.
1: Yeah, and and that's the other thing that we have to separate as well with this specific discussion is the player from the team or the, the player from the context, at least as much as we possibly can. And so, yes, I, I think it's very possible that Dallas as a team takes a step back while Luca maybe even can is capable of taking a step forward.
0: Yeah, that was a hard thing for me to do is like, um be kind of team agnostic in this and you can never be fully team agnostic but maybe i put him down a few spots and we'll get to him in a second um maybe i put him down a few spots just because i felt the mavericks stench on him i guess this season but yeah, you know fair. maybe i shouldn't let that affect my view of him the way it probably will
1: but yeah the 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 other thing i think that uh luka detractors might say is that he he just just based on coincidence, he played the same team in back-to-back playoffs in the Clippers. So uh, there there may be still people that are debating if he is this amazing playoff performer because he hasn't played a variety of teams yet. But uh, I I have no question marks about his playoff performance. But yeah, so I have I have Luca one, Durant two, and you had of course KD at the number one spot. So who do you have number two?
0: I have Giannis. Uh, I moved him up and down a little bit, but if he is going to be more like the Giannis we saw in the finals, not that the previous version of Giannis that wasn't kind of as aggressive off the bounce uh, was bad by any means, still very much a top seven, eight player. But if we're going to be treated to this more aggressive Giannis over the course of a season, um, this is a pretty safe floor as like a top three or four guy for me.
1: Yeah. I have Giannis as my number three. So we're we're right near each other. And yeah, I think you, you also had Giannis at two last year,
0: which ended up being a pretty good, pretty solid selection. It, not at first. I mean, not that he wasn't deserving, not that he was that far off, but there were definitely, you know, three or four guys who I thought had a better season last year, but he definitely um, had the last laugh, let's say.
1: Yeah, I had Giannis at 4 last year and and honestly if if Kevin Durant's shoes were about two sizes smaller, we, you know, Giannis yeah, exactly. might look uh, might not look great now, but uh, obviously that that shoe was a size whatever, 17 18, the Bucs got through that series and Giannis was sensational in the NBA Finals leading the Bucs to a championship. You know, the, the one thing I will say and and maybe why I don't I have him at three as opposed to one of the top two slots is, you know, yeah, he had that great series against Phoenix. And I thought Phoenix had OK personnel to deal with him with Aiton and Jay Crowder, uh, Tory Craig, but they didn't have elite personnel. So has he sort of has he been able to with that with his playoff performances totally convince you that? if he goes up against a, a defense that has great personnel say uh, as far as guys to throw at him, that he still can be the best player in a
0: series. I think I still, th- uh, you know, teams with that can just l- pack the paint and throw a lot of bodies at him. will have a much easier time stopping him than the Suns did. Um, but my question always was, what teams have that and also have as much offensive firepower as the sons. Uh, right. Maybe, maybe the Lakers. Um, I guess the nets have a lot of, you know, they don't really have elite defensive personnel, but they do have a lot of big, big dudes now. And they certainly have the offense to go toe to toe.
1: Yeah. What was your, but, t- what was your take with the, with the whole Nets series? Because to me, it didn't seem like, yeah, that the nets had great personnel, To deal with him, yet they they did about as good of a job as any team in in last year's playoffs, and, and were much better dealing with him than the Suns were.
0: Yeah, totally. Um I it's really hard because I don't think Giannis played as well, and I'm not sure if that was the Nets or if that was Giannis. That that series is definitely hard for me to rationalize because they really struggled to take a Nets team with. Out two of its best players down and, you know, needed seven games to do it. Um, that, I I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, I, you know, it's kind of a weird thing where like that was kind of close for comfort closer than I would have expected. Um, but then they also played so well and Giannis specifically played so well in the finals. So, uh, I almost like, this is almost me just like leaving him exactly where he was last year, just putting his evaluation on ice because I've seen so many different things and my brain doesn't know how to make sense of them all.
1: Yeah, I I think what you were saying too is you don't really know if it's a if it was specifically a Nets thing or if it was a Giannis or Bucks thing. I I tend to believe yeah that it was more a Giannis Bucks thing where getting through that Nets series you know gives your team some confidence and and also allows you to maybe take a take a sigh of relief and and just move forward and maybe play a little bit more relaxed. And yeah, the bucks as a whole in that, uh, in that NBA finals, especially after the first couple of games seem
0: to be playing at a, a much higher level than they did in that, uh, that series against Brooklyn. But, this is purely anecdotal, but like, I think it was game three of the Hawks series where Giannis just started attacking the basket every time he got the ball. And it felt like he was realizing like, I mean, probably he already knows this. I mean, I'm, he knows way more than I do, but it really felt like he was realizing, oh, I can just do this every time and it's not going to work every time, but let's see them stop it like three times in a row. Let's see them stop it like three times out of five. It was almost like they don't want me to do this, so I'm just going to do it every time. And that was kind of the intensity he played with. And he never really led up until he was holding the uh, finals MVP.
1: Yeah. And, and also, you know, the, the thing that a lot of people have criticized him for, which is taking a bunch of threes, like that was still an
0: issue in the Nets series. And yeah. he
1: got much better as that
0: with that. And he just He's relied just, on it less. He didn't settle, you know, he just exactly. And he, there was a lot of missed free throws along the way, but I'd rather him just take, be like 11 for 20 from the free throw line than settle for mid-rangers.
1: That's exactly right. So let's say we, we've gotten through your top two. And I mentioned that Giannis was my number three. So who do you have in that spot?
0: Uh, so this one might be a surprise to you, um, okay. but I'm going to rock with it. Joel Embiid.
1: Wow. OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't mind that. I um I feel like in, in past years, I think last year I had Embiid one spot higher than you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this year you're, I mean, yeah, he had a terrific regular season and, uh, was, was pretty darn good in the playoffs too. It felt like more, a, uh, you know, a rent, the supporting cast issue, which is why the Sixers bowed out in, in the second round. But, uh, yeah, give your case for why Embiid is, uh, is number three.
0: I mean, it's still an ongoing debate. Who is better? Who is the best player, uh, between Embiid and Jokic last regular season, um, I I lean slightly towards Embiid. Um, It was close enough that I agreed with Jokic winning the MVP um, because of his impact night in and night out. But there were several times where I'm like, this is currently the best player in the league. And obviously, you know. It's
1: it's more (laughs) of those like, uh, you know, Jokic played more games, but Joel Embiid was the per minute
0: MVP. Yeah. And even that, I'll say is not like definitive. Like I will not fault someone for preferring Jokic for the per minute MVP as well. But my point is MVP, it was really close and Embiid deserves a ton of credit. Um, I just, I think he, I, I would give him a slight edge per minute um, just because he really was that effective on offense uh, to the point where all of a sudden the offensive gap isn't as impactful as the giant gulf in their defense. Um, not that it has to be like, I kind of in general think offense is more important for superstars. So, you know, even if the offensive gap is smaller, sometimes I'll still give it to the better offensive player, but in this case, man, like, I think he, I think he could spend multiple seasons as the best player in the league. Um, it might not happen this year, but when things, I mean, you, you've all seen a good Embiid game. Like it's, it's just nutty. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, all of these guys are just going to be at the level where I'm going to sound really dumb, just ogling over them, because I just don't know how any of these guys exist in like the top like 10 or so.
1: Yeah. Um, when we, uh, Again, I was listening back to our pod we did on the top 30 last year, and and we were both sort of commenting on the idea that, yeah, like if Embiid develops as a three-point shooter or as a mid-range shooter, <laughs> it's going yep. to be really scary. And he developed at both of those significantly. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he became one of the best mid-range guys in the league. He went like near 40% from three. And uh, yeah, combine that with his foul drawing and his bully ball type mm. stuff. And yeah, it's it's a lethal package. And you're right. Uh, it definitely, um, you know, made that gap between him and Jokic on the offensive end much smaller. And yeah, he's still one of the one of the best defensive guys in the league with his rim protection, his ability to to move out there. It's it's insane that a guy at seven two has the kind of agility that, that he has.
0: Yeah. And I think that three point shooting and mid range shooting helped everyone realize like he is so much more than a post up big on offense. Like he is a pick and pop weapon. He's a dribble handoff weapon. He can catch it on the elbow, take a few dribbles and then pull up for a fadeaway over a defender and just splash it in their face. Um, and that is kind of how they'll have to use him going forward because with the other players on their team, I, you know, will roster could look very different very soon, but even, you know, I expect guys like Tobias Harris to stay on there and you want to give him some pick and roll touches. So it's hard to transition from like a Tobias Harris pick and roll into an Embiid post-up. So what do you do? You have Embiid set the screen and fade out to three. And all of a sudden you have a a, a play that can use both of their strengths. Um, and so developing that kind of stretch participator game to coin my article is, um, really has helped his game have a multiple of uses as opposed to being seen as more of a post-up big, like earlier in his career.
1: Yeah. And, and even still like that, that post-up face-up game, adding that like deadly mid-ranger to me is so huge because before, you know, the, the real elite post defenders could lay off him a little bit, try to take away that, that left baseline drive. He usually is facing up on the left elbow kind of range take away that left, that left-hand drive to the baseline, prevent him from getting dunks and free throws and all of that, and force him into a mid-range shot that he's hitting 40 to 45% of the time. And you can live with that. But when he's hitting it 51, 52% of the time, that's
0: not something you can really live with as the defense. He's such a good player. All right. So uh, who is, who is number four for you? So this
1: is where I have Steph Curry.
0: I have him at five, so I think we're, we're going to be – I'm going to agree with everything you say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, hmm. so when we, when we talked about him last year, I think one of the things I brought up was this idea that Steph has this great value of drawing two defenders, creating these four-on-threes, and the Warriors team just didn't have the, the shooting around him to really take advantage of that. And so I, I thought that his sort of floor raising ability maybe is lessened given the context of the rest of the roster. Careful, careful. <laughs> but, I'm, I'm, I'm already, uh, I, I, I just got a text from Simon. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, you know, I still believe that to an extent, but what he did last year so consistently and also I think just like upping his, his 3 point rate and just his own scoring profile a little bit more even recognizing the limited weapons he had on the rest of the roster he was able to still carry that team the the offensive rating differential between when he was on the floor and off was was uh, just crazy uh, he he had a, a superstar level impact with uh, with the offense and you know he again continues to be i think an underrated defender he uh, was able to be a cog in a team that was a top 10 level defense. And really when, uh, when, when he played, I think they were close to 10 games over 500. And when you look at the rest of that four years roster from last year, you're like, man, that is, that is, uh, quite the feat, despite the fact that they, they didn't quite get into the Western conference bracket.
0: And this is exactly why I was like, order the top seven or so, however you like for me, um, because what you're just what you're describing sounds like the best player in the league, to be honest. Uh, yeah. But it's like I said, I just I can't wait for this season. All these guys are incredible. Um, all of them could be an admirable, like, you know, lead player of the, any league. <laughs> like if we just worked, lived in a world where Steph was the best player in the league and everyone else was a rung below, I'd be like, that's a normal amount of NBA talent. Uh, it's just right. we have all of these titans on the court at the same time. Um, yeah, I think you described it beautifully with uh, Steph's pick your poison game at the at the level of the screen. Uh, you know, everything he's a part of is just better. And uh, I'll tell you who I had for number four. Then um, yeah, let's hear it. Speaking of good players, I had LeBron James.
1: Okay, so I had LeBron at five. So we just yeah. had LeBron and Steph.
0: And that was something that I thought of like. If LeBron didn't have that one game against the suns where he looked like he was like about to lead the charge and bring the Lakers back into the series, I would have LeBron probably five or six, but I'm still kind of hung up on like that one game where he's like, all right, I'm going to just empty the tank. you know the one I'm talking about? It was like either game five or six where yeah. like he just started going off and I was like, "Uh Oh, Suns are in trouble. And I, that's when I really kind of started buying the suns. Was when they like responded to that and stayed calm and just you know trudged along and won the game, uh, because I
1: believe that was Game Six and Booker went yeah. off, off in that game to kind of yeah to, to to hold LeBron off in that Lakers charge.
0: Right, exactly. But what players inspire that like feeling of inevitability in you, like LeBron? Right. Maybe it's just I'm conditioned to believe that after watching him at his peak, which he isn't quite at at this point, I don't think, uh, but as soon as he started, like I was kind of half watching it because sons were up 20 and then he starts going on a run and I'm like, oh man, this is, and I'm not really the biggest Lakers guy. So I'm like, oh man, sons might be in trouble. And I was kind of bummed, but they weren't, but just to inspire that feeling made me realize how much I respect him again and how much he can still, you know, invoke that fear in you.
1: Absolutely. And you know, again, as, as you stated, yeah, it is probably for me a a top seven where you could rank them. That would be, yeah. Like the, the, the first tier where you could rank these guys in, in any order. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we have the same seven. It'll be interesting to see if we do, but uh, yeah, the, the whole idea of, you know, LeBron prior to Solomon Hill rolling into his ankle was like a top three MVP candidate and looked just as, you know, as good as he has the last couple of years and was coming off the the great performance in the bubble to win the championship and his fourth finals MVP. You know, I, I just also there's a part of me that like, yeah, that that injury that he suffered and he didn't look quite himself for a, a decent chunk of that Sun series. And then also the fact that this is going to be his age 37 season. Uh, that's why I have him a little bit below that top four. But yeah, he's he's right there. And yeah, if, if someone were to have put him number one, I, 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 couldn't really complain too much.
0: Yeah. It just felt boring more than anything to put LeBron at one. Cause I think he's been yeah either one or two for me for every time we've done this. Pretty sure he's been one. Um, my number six is Jokic. I had we've him, got, we've I think... got
1: Jokic in the same spot.
0: Okay. Uh, Yeah. Let's just go over him briefly. I guess we already kind of touched upon him in the Embiid section because, you know, you're legally obligated to mention one after you mention the other, but, um, I'm just interested to see how they look with, you know, planning for not having Jamal Murray for most of the season. Um, if they'll just lean even further, if that's possible into running everything through Jokic, because, you know, there isn't quite unless I'm missing someone they signed, there isn't quite a guy who, you know, directs traffic. You don't uh, don't
1: see, you don't see bones Highland as a rookie of the year candidate.
0: Um, so I do see him as a, like a, like a, like a, like a outside shot at an all-star caliber player. Um, I'm a bones Highland truther. Uh, but yeah, in terms of, you know, rookies are bad and, uh, I see, you know, like, well, talk about michael porter jr um maybe we will maybe we won't in the latter half of this podcast uh, no spoilers but i don't necessarily see him as a guy who directs traffic unto himself in the offense and you know he he kind of works well in tandem with Jokic as more of a play finisher so i don't know the viability of this team without murray i still think they need that like advantage creator on the perimeter but we could just be in for another historically good offensive season from Jokic because of how much they'll ask him to do on a nightly basis
1: yeah I think that's just where the versatility of Jokic's offensive game and and this also comes back to why I have him and I'll just say it I have him one spot above Embiid I have Embiid at seven so I'm very close with Jokic and Embiid but Jokic's offensive versatility not only I I trust Jokic more as a pick and pop floor spacer than Embiid I trust Jokic more as the dribble handoff guy with his amazing passing I trust him more as the pick and roll weapon given his unbelievable sort of uh, um, short mid-range floater that he's got or his ability to to make the right play out of that short roll so that's what, that's where, like, I, I actually don't think the Nuggets are going to, at least in the regular season, are going to struggle that much without Murray on the offensive end. Obviously, they need Murray in the playoffs when things get really tough, and we saw that last year in that Sun series, that they just needed another offensive weapon. But in the yeah. regular season, I think Jokic can, I'm, I'm basically at the point where I think Jokic, with an average supporting cast, is guaranteed 50 wins. I think he's just that good. And, uh that's largely off of his just brilliance on the offensive end. And he allows guys like a limited offensive players like Monte Morris and Austin Rivers to be able to, just from his gravity, be able to get openings and, and find seams that they otherwise wouldn't.
0: Yeah, I think I was more, I agree, I agree completely about Jokic from a regular season perspective. And, you know, obviously we value that a ton and they'll struggle in the playoffs without Murray for reasons that aren't Jokic's fault, because he can only do so much, you know, he, you know, it's just harder to affect the game uh, as a center on offense sometimes without like a highly effective offensive partner. I, I don't know if that's necessarily a hot take or if it, you know. Feel free to disagree with that. I'm just kind of spitballing, but yeah, I think that like you said, they're just going to ride him in the regular season and it's going to be tremendous.
1: Yeah. So we, um, or I already mentioned that I had Jokic at six and then Embiid at number seven. So who did you then have at number seven?
0: Is this where Luca ended up? So, I didn't put Luca at seven. And wow. after, after kind of thinking about it more um, maybe there is a case for him to jump a few spots because I don't think, I don't like anything the Mavericks did this summer, but so I don't think.
1: Can, and let me just be, let me just state this for the audience that you had yeah. Luca four last
0: year. So this is I a, did.
1: something a drop for you. <laughs> uh,
0: well, it's not really. I mean, it is, and it isn't, but like, like I said, maybe I'll extend that tier to the, first eight guys i said first seven okay um but if you wanted to tell me you're wrong luke is the fourth best player third best player best player i'd be like fine you know that's fine um i had him at eight for now uh the only other guy i had ahead of him was james harden who i think i've always been slightly higher on him than you have
1: yes so um yeah, we, we have a few a few discrepancies. I'll, I'll just say I had Harden at number nine, so I'm okay. not too far behind. And yeah, I feel like basically every year I've been one or two spots lower on Harden than you, but uh, we're, we're in the same ballpark.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was really impressed by him this past season, just being able to adapt his game to not, you know, playing Maury ball. Um, and, you know, I think it, you know, probably should have given him the benefit of the doubt prior it would be really weird if he like only could play that way and he made the necessary adjustments.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we saw that even, uh, you know, not at a superstar level given the the usage and the role, but in OKC, he was successful in that system. We saw it even, even in the early days with the Rockets with Kevin McHale as coach before Maury ball became super, uh, super obvious. He was, he was successful. So yeah, I had no doubts that he was going to be, really good and, and, and really effective in Brooklyn. My, my concern and and why he's actually, so I had him eight last year and I have him nine this year. And I don't know if you even really factored this in, but I'm a little, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned with his durability and his, you know, consistent sort of muscle injuries that have propped up over the last year or two. And, uh, so, you know, he used to be this guy that, that it was the exact opposite. He was an iron man. And so that's really the reason why I've dropped him. I, I I don't think he's fallen off much at all as a, as an actual player, but, uh, yeah, the, the ability to be on the floor is, is something that I factored in and why he, he fell a little bit lower.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'd like to, uh, see another year of I mean, I wouldn't like to see another year of and injuries, but I'd have to see a little bit more for me to be like this guy. You can't rely on him to be out there, uh, but it's starting to look like there might be, you know, yeah, a little smoke in that regard. For sure. We'll say Luca as my number eight. But again, uh, these rankings are a myth. Uh, all the top eight guys are MVP caliber players without a doubt in my mind. Uh, who is your number eight? So my number eight was Anthony Davis. Oh, I had him 10. Okay. So I think I had him like five last year. Maybe I was, you know, blowing a little too many bubbles.
1: Yeah. So that that doesn't
0: make sense. But uh, yeah, he was really good in the bubble.
1: You had, you had him five. I had him six last year. And so I dropped him two spots. You dropped him five.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which again, sounds drastic, but I mean, I sound like a broken record. It's not that big of a decline
1: yeah and the reason he's he's fallen a little bit for me is the just the yeah the the bubble is seemingly more and more looking like an outlier as far as his shooting is concerned and so he is just a guy that I think is an average mid-range shooter an average three-point shooter for for the four spot maybe maybe if he's playing the five he's slightly above average in those areas but He's not providing, and especially now that the Lakers have Westbrook, he's not helping your team spacing, I don't think. And and uh, that was the big difference in the bubble. They were able to continue to play big at times because he was knocking down those shots. They didn't just die on the offensive end. Um, but But, yeah, I mean, he's still, to me, an absolute wrecking ball on the defensive end of the floor. And his offensive versatility still has some great value with his – ability, you know, to to pick and pop some, but also as one of the best lob
0: guys in the NBA. I mean, I don't think you probably disagree with too much of what I just said. Not at all. Uh, not at all. I guess maybe I'm a little bit more concerned about how the lack of respectable jumper bleeds into some of his drives and just like finishes and face-ups. Um, I do think that, you know, he kind of almost reminded me of a seven-foot Miami Heat Dwayne Wade in the bubble and you know that's a player who isn't going to be that best of a three-point shooter but is so smart so good from the mid-range such a good cutter that he makes the fit with LeBron work regardless that's what it reminded me like I think people want were quick to compare him to like you know a more athletic Chris Bosch when LeBron joined the Lakers no he's a he was a seven foot Dwayne Wade last year and that's a top five player but he's kind of like you said cooled off and not been as potent of a scorer um, to where I feel like that's the case anymore.
1: Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know how you necessarily feel. I don't know if you've given a lot of thought to sort of like, uh, you know, where these teams rank and in, in terms of the NBA, but I did a, I did a tears pod with Justin Matcham uh, recently. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not as high on the Lakers just
0: given their spacing issues than, than a lot of people. Wait, you're not high on Russell Westbrook.
1: <laughs> yeah, it comes as a huge shock, right?
0: All right. Uh shout out Corbin Ford. Um <laughs> just coming at I'm just coming at the whole the whole crew today. Uh yeah, so, I, don't,
1: I don't think Corbin's gonna be happy with this pod. Then. Yeah, that's gonna Hov- be the only Russell Westbrook mention.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think uh we'll, we'll find out with uh Simon. Uh, that's Simon Sharon Gordon for everyone, who's uh the ultimate Steph Alkalite for a very good reason. Steph's incredible. Um, I think we're off the hook there, but we'll find out. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to hear from Corbin, which is, I know, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get through that. Um, but anyway, uh, my number nine player was Damian Lillard.
1: Okay. I had him at, I had him at 10.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, uh, again, (laughs) no major disagreements yet. Uh, it's going to be a weird year in Portland. I think With the Larry Nance trade, I'm tempted to buy them again, but I know better than to do that um, because every year I predict them as being like the four seed or the three seed, and then they're the six seed. So I'm just going to predict them as the six seed this year. Uh, They're going to slightly disappoint, and it's going to be okay. Uh, Maybe Dame isn't on the team this time next year. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's not on the team in a month, uh, but still uh, the second best point guard in the league, no matter how you slice it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I had the same issue last year where I look at like Robert Covington, Derek Jones, Jr. Uh, oh, great Nurkic.
0: moves! Yeah, they,
1: they've got uh, they've got a decent defensive front court, and this year Zach
0: Collins, healthy Zach Collins.
1: Yeah, I say the same thing. You know, Robert Covington. They've added Larry Nance, Yusuf Nurkic. They
0: got Norman Powell. They 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 they, they kept him, who is one of my favorite players in the league, just from a stylistic perspective.
1: Yeah. And they, they, uh, they replaced Enos Cantor with, uh, you know, Cody Zeller defensively. So yeah, I, there, yeah, I, given (laughs) if they hadn't disappointed me the last like three years defensively, I would still probably say like, yeah, I think they're going to be like close to average on defense, but right. They'll probably end up 27th.
0: That's correct. (laughs) Absolutely. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, there's, there's not much to say about David Lillard. He's been, Uh, You know, he's he's continued to to grow and just do ridiculous stuff the last couple of years. That 55 point outburst against the Nuggets was absolute insanity. Uh, What the guy can do on the offensive end, especially with the ball in his hands, is incredible. But, you know, we've talked in the past about his limitations, obviously, as a defender. And then also, you know, he's not Steph off the ball.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I think. When I really think about it, he's my favorite player in the league. Just from like a poise and confidence perspective, like, yeah, he just rules. I don't know how else to say it. He's just so metal.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> there was a there was a there was an awesome story. I don't know if you saw this. I believe it was Howard Beck that that put it out, but it was sort of about how Damian Lillard doesn't seem to celebrate too much he doesn't get too high or too low when he hits those crazy game winning game series clinching shots and it all dated back to when uh, when he was a youngster playing aau and he hit what was going to be a game winning shot with about a second to go he took his jersey off in celebration got called for a technical and the oppos- opposing team hit a couple of technical free throws and they lost the game Oh, ever man. Since, ever since that, David Lillard is like, I need to I need to chill and just not get too high because, you know, winning is the ultimate goal.
0: That reminds me of floor hockey in fifth grade gym class when I scored the game winning goal. And then I and then I just took a I think I I, 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 I ran around the gym and I shouted victory lap and then my gym teacher rescinded the goal. And we
1: lost. Oh man, <laughs> that's and that scarred you for life, huh?
0: I mean, that's why I am a professional hockey player now, uh, <laughs> much like Dame is a professional basketball player. Yeah.
1: All right, so we're we're through our uh, we're through our top ten, and
0: uh, all right, this is where stuff gets interesting for me, and I I am very excited for your reaction to my number eleven guy.
1: And I'm excited for your reaction to my number right. eleven guy. Do
0: you want to go first?
1: Sure, I'll go first because this is a guy that we have differed pretty pretty drastically on throughout all of these that we've done. And oh my gosh, Paul George at number. Oh eight.
0: no, I I realized I was being really dumb about him last year.
1: You had him at I, twenty.
0: I, yeah, I owe Paul George an apology. We all do. Um, I fell in love with this Clippers team this past year. I love Paul George. I you know. Watching Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, and any other 6'9 wing, they they can't handle the ball like Paul George does. It doesn't make sense how under control his dribbling is. It doesn't make sense how he's able to just make these full body, like across the like kind of crossover moves and just stay on balance. And, man, and just like, yeah, sometimes, you know, You get nervous when he relies so hard on off the dribble threes, but he's made like 40% of them the last like three years. That's a good shot for him. It might not be a good shot for a lot of people, but a contested off the dribble shot is a good shot for Paul George. Um, He's expanded his pick and roll game. They've kind of innovated with that five out read and react scheme that plays perfectly into his strengths and weaknesses. Um, I couldn't be more of a Paul George convert than I am.
1: Yeah. And listening back to our conversation about him last year, that was the one thing that I wish I had, had said more because you brought up the idea that, yeah, he's, he's overly reliant on those step-back threes. He doesn't get to the rim en- enough and he doesn't, you know, play make enough. He doesn't get to the free throw. I'm like, yeah, I agree with all that, but also, yeah, he's great <laughs> at the, those contested step-back threes. Yeah. As you said, he's over 40% the last couple of years on high volume and yeah, like, you, you want a player to be a little bit more versatile in terms of their offensive profile. But at the same time, if you're just really great at this one specific thing, it's, it's okay.
0: And that's kind of what direction the Clippers went into where, um, you know, I kind of wrote about this in my article for premium hoops about how they crowdsourced the creation. Like they weren't asking Paul George to be this like pick and roll unschemable apex predator, right? They weren't even asking Kawhi to be that. They just, let the ball movement kind of dictate you know how to warp the defense they let the ball do a lot of the work and all of a sudden Paul George is just asked to do what he does best as opposed to like you know making these like 1000 level IQ pick and roll reads that we only see like three or four guys make consistently um they've found the right place for him uh it's just they get to focus on his scoring he he still gets to operate a ton of pick and rolls cause he's still one of the best in the league at them, but it's the, 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 offense doesn't live and die with Paul George's and Kawhi's ability to create for others. You know, they're going to run a lot of motion concepts. They're going to uh, get out in transition and do what I call Henry ball named after my friend, Henry Ward, who wants every team to just play with five, six, nine guys who can all shoot dribble and pass. And the Clippers were the closest thing I've ever seen to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, just a just a brief tangent. I wanted to go on to you know he's he's not going to be in in my top thirty. I assume he won't be in yours either. But the player that maybe as far as like top hundred guys in the league that have, has taken the biggest jump in my no, mind. Nick
0: Batum. No, I did I blow up your actually, spot.
1: I, I was going to say Reggie Jackson.
0: It, it, both of them, you know, they were the they were a buyout candidate and a guy who has signed off waivers, and they were the third and fourth best players for the Clippers this year which I just love all right so let's let's get to uh let's get to your
1: number 11 that you said was gonna surprise me as well
0: okay here we go it's Trey
1: okay (laughs) okay wow yeah I uh he's he's gone up my list as well but not nearly that much
0: oh man I think he's just this good I think that I, I get like that everybody was kind of harping on the defense. So I'll just, I guess I'll start there and I'm not going to defend his defense, but you can just get everybody else to play good defense and he'll take care of most of the offense. Um, I was talking about this with, um, uh, when Seth now came on our Sense of Scalability, I was like, yeah, like the good thing about having Trey on defense is you can just put Capella out there who's, you know, more of a defensively minded center, and he still doesn't take away anything on offense because Trey's lobbing him perfect, you know, passes and stuff like that. So it's kind of a weird way to think about basketball, but in a way it's hard for me to separate, you know, offensive value and defensive value because, you know, doesn't Rudy Gobert have offensive value if he lets you play, you know, four offensive minded players in the regular season and win 60 games? Doesn't Trey have defensive value if he lets you if he allows you to stack the deck on defense um, because he's taking care of most of the offense, um, I guess that's the best case I can make for him. You know, you're, you're still going to get hunted by the likes of drew holiday in the playoffs. And I completely understand anybody who wants to hold that against him, but I just think he's approaching a level of offense that, you know, is on par with the other guys I mentioned. I think he's that scheme breaking. I think he's that good unto himself. I think he creates that level of a headache for the opposing defense. And so he's just, you know, while some of the guys below him might be better, well-rounded players, just the singular strengths of skill at uh, Trey are just undeniable for me.
1: I think you've convinced me to move him up even more than I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's what all the best, that's what all the best um, blurbs do, I guess is, uh, you know, you made me con- reconsider my Luca perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... The, the other thing I will say is that, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I, I thought Trey Young held up better himself individually on defense than I expected in the postseason.
0: You, you know what? I'm glad you said that because now that I think about it, you know, he did provide some point of attack resistance. I'm not saying a lot, but, you know, he was not as, you know, I think for some people it was like, you're a smart player. You could read these angles well and understand passing angles and understand where you need to be. And maybe it was just an effort thing in the regular season, but he did shore it up to the point where he's not like the worst defender in the league. Probably.
1: Right. Yeah. There was, you know, you see a lot of times in the regular season, if he gets backed down by a six-nine guy, he just like basically is a turnstile. Where he's like the,
0: I'll, I'll score like, three, the other, and no big deal. So yeah,
1: he actually, it seemed like in the postseason, he realized, you know, I've, I've got to actually provide some level of resistance, make them shoot over the top of me. And while it wasn't incredibly effective, just a little bit of an improvement on that end for him uh, made a difference. So yeah, you've, you've convinced me, I'm not going to have him as high as 11, but I have moved him up a good, a, a good four or five spots
0: now. All right. And it is, it is so close with these guys. So, you know, I probably, you know, I think in original versions, I had him like, you know, uh, 10 or so spots lower. And then I was like, you know, you know what? I really like Trey young. Uh, I'm just going to ride with this take. And like we said, some of this is projecting for continued improvement, which, uh, you know, you could say that maybe he might regress a little bit because he was that good in the playoffs, but there's also a chance that he's just even better. Um, but I will go to my, actually, yeah, you did Paul George. I'll do my 12th and this is going to be another left field one. Um, are you holding on to your chair, Garrett? <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. All right. My number 12 player is Zion Williamson.
1: Okay. That's not, that's not too crazy. Yeah,
0: I guess. Yeah. It it is a little bit of a jump from where I had him last year as like a borderline top 30 player, but he did what we expected him to do. And now he's here.
1: I'll just say that um, without giving away the actual spots, I moved Trey young one spot ahead of Zion Williamson when I just made that. Okay.
0: Okay. So sounds like they're like a few spots lower, but like in the general ballpark, you know, we don't completely disagree on them as players, but when you get past like the MVP caliber Hall of Fame shoeins, um, then you, you know it, it becomes a little bit more about what you personally value. Yeah, so let's
1: let's hear your case for Zion. I mean, obviously, with uh, last year, we we got to see some point Zion, which I didn't even realize was going to be a thing at all in his entire career. So to see him do that was obviously pretty special to watch. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I think there's in, in the same way that maybe you dropped Luca back because of your concerns about Dallas, I might be dropping Zion a little bit back, given my yeah. concerns about the, the Pelicans
0: team. And honestly, it I don't feel like I dropped Luca back. Maybe I did. Maybe I shouldn't have put him eight, but like the guys ahead of him were KD, Giannis, Embiid, LeBron, Steph, Jokic, and Harden. Like that's, like, and, and Luca is in that tier with those guys. So I don't want it to seem like I'm just like fading Luca this year. I guess I just was a little bit less enthusiastic about him and that reflected in my rankings. Um, but I can totally understand why you had a similar thing with the Pelicans. I still don't quite know what to make of the Pelicans either. It seems like as soon as something doesn't work, they quickly pivot to a new plan. Uh, and you know, if they have this guy, who's I'm calling him a top 15 NBA player this year and they have, you know, we'll get to Brandon Ingram. They just traded for Jonas Valanciunas. It's like, shouldn't they be at least like a play in team for sure in the West? And the answer is I don't really know what their team's going to look like this season that they still haven't quite solved the depth issue. Uh, Devonte Graham, while I think he can kind of work as this shooter in their offense, I, I hope he has enough like on ball playmaking and can sustain the level we saw two years ago in Charlotte. Um, but regarding Zion, he is in. You know, I talked about that one through eight being a tier. He's on that level of those guys offensively, I think. Um, if not this year, then like halfway through this year. Um,
1: and same with Dre you, Young, I would assume. He's yeah, on.
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the reason they're a little bit lower is the defensive concerns of how, you know, right. for both of them, you kind of have to in- design your scheme around them. Um, I think you want to just limit his close out, closing out as much as possible. Maybe just drop Jonas Valanciunas and you know, c- keep that shell of your defense so that he doesn't have to scramble around uh covering for you know people who are scrambling elsewhere. And so I just, you know, it's ranking Zion is impossible. Like I say this every episode we talk about, and we haven't quite seen this. Um, and my only inclination is to just be on the high side of him because I just feel like we still haven't figured out the full impact that he can have on an offense.
1: Right. And, and you were, you were higher on him last year. You had him just inside your top 30 and I, I had him in my honorable mentions and I was still, you know, at that time, as I'm sure you were as well, a little bit concerned about his injury history and all of that. And the fact that he played a relatively healthy season last year also I think vaulted him up both of our lists Uh but yeah and, and he also just got better and uh, it'll be interesting to see what sort of steps he takes and it'll be interesting to see if it's more his improvement is more in sort of the Giannis mold where yeah he doesn't necessarily develop a jump shot but just gets better at his strengths essentially
0: and I, I'm really interested to see you know maybe some different ways they use him they're gonna have a little bit more spacing to work with than last year. Uh, I don't know if, you know, people are touting Jonas Valanciunas as like a stretch five convert. I think he'll mostly be near the rim, but I still think there are ways with like the shooting of Devonte Graham and the continued shooting improvement of Brandon Ingram to get Zion in space a little bit more, maybe downhill, maybe as a role, role man uh, that I hope Willie Green, you know, kind of tries to unlock this year. Um, well, because, they got the,
1: they got the floor spacing five now with balance units.
0: Well, yeah, that, well, that's what I, that's what I, uh, that's what I'm saying is like, everyone's like, oh, he's a better shooter than Adams. No, Adams problem. Wasn't that he couldn't shoot. It's that he couldn't score near the rim. You yeah. can have another inside big with Zion, as long as they can be efficient also, you know, because my thing with Zion is obviously you'd love to surround him with four shooters, but. You can still he can still create a ton of openings with another big in the dunker spot because what's the other big gonna do? Like help off Jonas onto Zion. Zion will probably first of all, Zion will probably just like finish right through that big. Uh second of all, you have Jonas who's so good at you know converting in tight spaces. Obviously, it's not optimal. You'd rather have four shooters around Zion, but this is more than okay as a configuration for me.
1: Yeah. And uh as far as the Pelicans are concerned, I feel like you know, even more optimistic about their offense than even last year. I mean, Valanchunas is better than Adams. I think Devontae Graham is a better offensive player than Lonzo Ball, uh, but they're both downgrades defensively. So it's going to be another thing where they're, yeah. they could be I don't, top five offense and a bottom five defense
0: very easily. I think the problem was Adams wasn't a good defender last year. Yeah. Or not as good as he had. Yeah. Been. I mean, I don't want to say he was bad, but like, yeah, just the idea that he was like better than the average, you know, drop big seemed to be, maybe there were schematic things at play, but I came into the season really high on him as like a rim protector. And I think I should have pumped the brakes a little bit.
1: Yeah. So you had Zion then at 12. Let's, uh, let's get to my number 12 and I think this is going to be someone you're excited to hear is my number 12. And that is Jason Tatum. That
0: is exciting. And he's not far off from me, obviously.
1: Yeah, I had, uh, I had Tatum 15 last year. So this isn't a big jump or anything, but uh, you know, again, another, another season of excellent three-point shooting. He's improved marginally with the, the passing and the ball handling and, and a lot of the, you know, other skills that you want from a primary initiator. And then, you know, he still maintained his elite help defense and, you know, we, we saw him in the, in the postseason in that net series, even though it seemed like with, without Jalen Brown, the Celtics were kind of doomed from the get-go, but uh, you know, Jason Tatum had that one monster game and had a pretty good overall series.
0: He's really good at basketball. And I really hope that we kind of lean into more of what works for him uh this season. You know, I think Ime has stressed ball movement. um, A lot of, you know, motion offense, a lot of five out. And I think having Horford back will help him um, just get a little bit more space attack downhill. I've kind of spilled a lot of ink and said a lot of verbs and nouns and adjectives about Jason Tatum. Um, Probably the hardest I ever worked on an article was talking about like the ideal way to build around him. And if you look back at that article, I think Celtics did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Obviously they didn't, you know, I, I basically clamored for like a stretch participator big as I called them. And then like, you know, I think Kemba was a very good point guard for the last month and a half of the regular season, but I can understand moving him for that player. And then they were still able to get shooter, who is definitely a downgrade at point guard, but still I think good enough to provide another place the defense has to look uh for running plays. Um, And then you, you know, put Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown who can kind of work off of all of that creation. Uh, I think you're taking a lot of pressure off Tatum in a way that they didn't quite last year. They kind of expected him to absorb a lot of the creation burden left by Gordon Hayward and just expect him to be this ISO weapon. And, you know, if he continued to shoot over 40% from three off the dribble, that would have been great, but surprise it didn't happen because it's never happened for anybody uh, his size, not even Paul George, as we talked about, like you know, Paul George is a little bit maybe comparable of a shooter, but still kind of hovers in that high thirties off the dribble, maybe sometimes 40. Um, you only see like Steph Curry and Dame Lillard hit that typically. And so if a six, 10, six, nine guy does it, he's a first ballot hall of famer, most likely, uh, Kevin Durant, for example, but yeah, that's all just to say that Tatum isn't going to be your, capital P primary initiator, but that's okay. You know, he's still definitely worthy of this number 12 spot. um, If he makes the improvements that I am pretty sure he will make um, and the offense gets a little bit more catered to him.
1: Well, and yeah, he's, he's number 12 in, in large part because of his two-way play, you know, it's like he he would be, he would be much lower if he wasn't a a big positive on defense as well. Um, But uh, yeah, the, The interesting thing about the whole shift from, you know, having uh, Kemba on the roster and bringing in Horford instead, you know, you're probably going to see less of the pick and roll stuff and more of the dribble handoff stuff. And it all, I suppose, depends on where on the floor you're doing these actions. But I would say typically, uh, I don't know if you would agree with this, but typically your dribble handoff stuff is going to be around the elbows because you want to be able to have the big fake a handoff and be one dribble away from getting to the rim. Um, so in, in that sense, it almost, uh, I feel like the dribble handoff game is going to help Jason Tatum be better at the things he's not good at in terms of getting to the basket and, and, and that and the like, whereas it might take away, he might not get as many of those off the dribble threes, which he's excelled at in recent years.
0: Yeah. And the thing about Al is that he can kind of initiate those dribble handoffs from the three point line as well. Uh, and then Tatum, if they're just not respecting him can kind of curl around, you know, take a gather dribble and rise up. And the thing about Tatum is his release is so quick and high that unless you're specifically expecting it, you're probably not going to get a good contest on it. Uh, and then, you know, for that elbow game, I'm interested to see how he works with Rob Williams, uh, who continues to impress, um, I kind of fancy Rob as a elite DHO big who can also be a rim runner. You know, that's his ticket to being like a, you know, good starting center for years to come is just nailing that dribble handoff game and making, you know, the cross court passes if he sees other defenders cheating off him. Uh, A a lot of the things we associate with Bam Adebayo um, is Rob Williams ceiling. I'm not saying he'll be that player. Uh, But I've kind of made that comparison ad nauseum. Uh, So everyone's heard that from me. And yeah, uh, in classic Tatum fashion, I just started a rant about the Celtics and forgot to talk about him. Uh, But, you know, we already kind of did a good job talking about his strengths and weaknesses on previous podcasts. And uh, I'll go for who I had at 13. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, You know, a a favorite in this range for me for a long time, uh, uh, Jimmy Butler.
1: OK, so I I I dropped Butler. Um, uh, Actually, I'll, I'll just say I dropped Butler five spots from last okay. year and I, I could very easily be overreacting to that four game <laughs> first round series. But, uh, you know, an, a, another year of a sample size where he just was not a three point shooter at all, which is also concerning, given that uh, he is reliant on he is that not having that three-point shot makes him even more reliant on athleticism moving forward.
0: Yeah. uh, No, totally. But I think he just became like an all NBA defender last year and he just, he'll, he'll, and, and what's nice about their current configuration is they can be with Kyle Lowry, a good offense without him doing Jimmy Butler stuff. And so he's going to be in a role that I like best for him as like kind of a breaking case of emergency isolation scorer, who can also like, you know, go full out on defense and can make these timely cuts. Like he has no problem blending into an offense, despite not having a great three point shot. Uh, I just always trust him to figure it out.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, I think we've done, again, this is the fourth year we've done it. I've always been higher. I think every time on Butler than you, And this is the first year that's flipped. And maybe I'm expecting a little bit more regression in this next season, just given his age. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. If we were just basing this on what he did in the regular season last year, he had one of his best years of his career. He was, he was phenomenal. He did a great job of, I think he shot 67% at the rim, got to the rim a ton. So despite the fact that, yeah, his, his jumper has, has seemingly gone away for the most part, like he was able to remain efficient, still able to get to the free throw line a ton, and and yeah be a, be an excellent defensive player for for that team um yeah it's uh it's interesting yeah i i'm not uh, seemingly as high on the heat's uh, potential offense this
0: upcoming season oh but, uh, man we'll, we'll talk to them a little bit cuz there's another there's let's say dare i say two other guys who who made my list yeah um,
1: so uh, let's let's get to then my number 13 and this is where i had devin booker i love
0: that I applaud you for your bravery. (laughs) Yeah. Thank thank you for, thank you. I had him lower, but definitely a big part of me wanted to have him 13.
1: Yeah. So I believe you had him 14 last year. I had him 16. So I've moved him up three spots in part because, you know, and I didn't really have too many question marks about his postseason uh, play, but uh, you know, he proved it. He, he was a pretty good, Playoff performer for Phoenix. He uh, he, along with Paul, led them to the second-best record in the NBA. Uh, he he, at times got uh, taken advantage of or attacked on the defensive end, but I think that's just you know more a compliment to the rest of the Suns' defensive roster that he was the weak link
0: there. Um, and I I've kind of maintained that he's become like a, a five is an average defender, he's become a four out of ten defender.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Even a four and a half.
0: And uh, you know,
1: he he seemingly has that uh and, and we've seen it even in past regular seasons, but he has that uh that understanding of when his team needs a bucket from him, when he needs to up that aggression level. And uh yeah, I, I just think he I was already pretty high on him going into last season and he confirmed a lot of what I felt about him, including through that, uh, that playoff run and nearly winning a championship.
0: Yeah. I, he's one of my favorite players. And I feel like I'm fading myself, having him a little bit lower than you, like not a much lower, but definitely a few spots. Um, I think he's part of this tier that honestly, for me started at around Trey where you can order any of the, those 10 guys, however, and I'm not going to complain too much.
1: Yeah. And again, this is probably where our, um, and, and this is going to factor into a lot of these guys, but where our guard defense and, and how much I value that differs because yeah, I think if I had to just say on the offensive end, I'd probably say Trey young is better than Devin Booker, but, uh, you know, and slightly, I, I think Devin Booker is an excellent offensive player. Uh, but then the difference, yeah, I would say Booker's like a four out of 10. Trey Hugg's like a two out of 10. So yeah. that, that makes the difference for me.
0: Yeah, for me, it's just I see offensive. I just see having that level of an offensive player as doing more for your team than being less of a weak link on defense. But you can easily make the opposite argument depending on the context.
1: Absolutely. So let's move on then to number 14. Who do you have here?
0: Oh, so this is where I had Paul George. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so not not too far off from you.
1: Yeah, and we've we've talked about him. So I'll get to my number fourteen, and this is uh, this is one of the few guys I had in the exact same position as I did last year, and that's Rudy Gobert.
0: I love it, love it. You know, top ten defense unto himself. Uh, playoffs were not his fault, or at least it wasn't mostly his fault. Uh, obviously, you'd love to have him guard out on the perimeter as well as be the best rim protector of all time, basically. But then you, you, he'd be like, God. So in the meantime,
1: well, and and frankly, I think he's pretty good guarding on the, yeah,
0: I think that Clippers.
1: I don't think any human being on earth can stop a point blank
0: layup and close out to a corner three. Exactly. (laughs) He, He would have to be God. Um, And because the jazz point of attack failed them, uh, he was being asked to both cover for his teammates and close out to, you know, a, a piping hot Terrence man who, lest we forget, scored like 34 points to, in an, an elimination game. Shout out Terrence man.
1: I thought it was even more. I thought it was like 39. Yeah,
0: It might've been 30. Yeah. I just stopped paying attention after a while because I was so happy. <laughs> I was just, I love the Clippers so much. Oh my gosh. But, uh, and I also love the jazz, and I love what Gobert allows them to do, which is just stack the deck on offense. Um, because he's like, "I got this, guys." For defense, the best defender in the league, um, a historically great rim protector. I think that gets lost on people. This is not normal what he's able to do. It's tremendous, tremendous basketball player.
1: Yeah, and and again, even the whole idea of yeah he he not, he not only helps your offense by allowing you to stack the deck, but he's such an unselfish offensive player too. He'll set a hundred screens if you want him to. And he doesn't require the, you know, I don't, I I say the Dwight Howard post-up, but even though I think Dwight Howard's gotten better at this over the last couple of years of not requiring that, but Dwight Howard of like 2016 vintage of like needing five post-ups a game. Or you know the the best the best example of this is the Kendrick Perkins the getting like the, the first couple of possessions post touches for Kendrick Perkins, um, but yeah his unselfishness on the offensive end and and he still got gra- he still has great roll gravity that vertical spacing that he provides uh, there, there's a reason the Jazz get some of the most open looks and uh, and some of the most open corner three point looks in the entire NBA and it's largely because of Gobert.
0: Yeah. And it's like, it's, you know, some people might say, um, yeah, you could find that role elsewhere. You know, you could sign what's Dwight Powell doing, you know, just let him roll. But when you combine that with the best rim protector in the league and, you know, on the short list of all time, uh, yeah, you're set.
1: So, yeah, let's, uh, let's see. We, so we, we got to your number 14, right? (laughs) So,
0: yep. So I will kind of, I will definitely zig where you might zag with 15, but I just, I have an undying respect for this player. And my number 15 is Kyrie Irving. We are on the same page. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank (laughs) you. I, I just like, I think I had him in the twenties last year and just watching. We we both did. I believe I had him 20 and you might had him 21 watching him play this guy. You know, you can't, you have to have him in your top twenty he is so good in a way that's so unique to him. And you could say, you know, he might not buoy your offense, like some of the guys higher on this list, but just the way he can kind of add to your ceiling and not that he's like this Andre Godala type situational ceiling razor, but when you have that offensive backdrop around him that the nets do, uh, he can be that in a way nobody else can. Cause he can, he can do things nobody else can do on the basketball court. And that has to matter at some point.
1: Yeah. And I think both of us were having him in the twenties last year. It was much more the off court stuff, the durability issues that had us drop him. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it still is having me drop him a little bit. I think he would be even higher if it weren't for some of those issues. Like again, he, I I, I don't want to blame him, but, uh, you know, it was a nasty ankle injury, of course. And but it was another situation where he got hurt at a crucial time for his team. And that seems to be a thing that that reoccurs often with him. Um, But like if I had to pick, okay, that I know the player is healthy and it's one game do or die situation, he might be as high as 10 or 11 for me.
0: Absolutely. Like you'll be watching him play against the likes of like Tatum or. Butler or like Paul George, and you'll just watch Kyrie do something cool. And you'll be like, no, this guy's better than that guy. Uh, But it's just, you know, it gets a little bit more interesting when you factor in, you know, durability and whatnot. Um, But still 15, number 15 right here. I just, because I always felt like, you know, watching him closely in Boston, there was something people missed about him. You know, I felt like people were like trying to fade him his last year at Boston where he was still very much an all NBA caliber point guard. You know, people were like, Oh, is Kemba Walker better? Oh, is uh whomever better, you know, then is, is this guy better just because they didn't like Kyrie or whatever, but it, it, he just has this way about him and this scoring juice that honestly, he's the best at what he does. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, you, you look at him from like the 2016 finals and you say like, how can, how can someone get better from an isolation sort of scoring offensive profile?
0: And like, he's gotten better. He, he has, he it's game-breaking. He is so good. Um, my number 16 was Tatum. Um, and, and my 16 was Jimmy Butler. Okay. So I'm getting the vibe that we all feel pretty similarly about, you know, Tatum Butler and, Kyrie is just, and Paul George for that matter, it's just, you know, maybe we like one guy more or one guy less. Uh, But I'll go to my 17th because I think this becomes an interesting conversation. Okay. Uh, And that one is Carl Anthony Towns.
1: Okay. So yeah, I had, uh, it's, it's it's interesting because we both had had Kyrie and Carl Anthony Towns lower in the twenties, both of us last year. And uh, I was with you in terms of raising Kyrie. I'm not with you this time raising Cat. I've got him just about the same area I did. Actually, a couple spots lower.
0: I just, at some point, I can't ignore that he's the most offensively skilled big in the league and potentially all time. And, you know, skilled is very used to credit or discredit a lot of players. Um, So maybe it's not the right word. Maybe, you know, Jokic and Embiid, since they're better players, are more skilled players, but just some of the technical abilities he has as like a shot creator on the perimeter just don't think they don't make sense to me in my head like a 7 foot 260 guy shouldn't be able to just like do a hesitation step back over a smaller player like that and just drain it in his face um i just still you know and i think that's not even to mention how good of a player he is on the inside and I think people think, oh, he's more of a, you know, he plays on the perimeter because he is a historically good shooter for a center. But then you have some of the highest points per possession in the face up and post ups. Um, He's just good at everything on offense. And I don't love his defense, but it shows how much I love his offense that, you know, at a position where defense is most important, I still have him as the 17th best player in the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with most of what you said. Uh, he is a special offensive talent. And uh, at some point, though, and and this might be unfair, and again, I, I talked about with Luca trying to separate the individual from the team, but at some point, like, I need what he does to impact winning in some way. And I, I know they haven't had the greatest roster around him in, in previous years, but I think his lack of commitment to being – a good defensive player when I I think he's got the tools to be good, but he just has never even he's, he hasn't even gotten to average on that end. Like we talk about the difference in Embiid and Jokic being ginormous on the defensive end. Like Jokic is still, I would say, a a significantly better defender than Towns.
0: Um, Yeah. I think some of it is just like, he is surprisingly slow footed when changing directions on defense. Um, But you're right in that, you know, hasn't been what I hoped it would be. Um, There are games where he is, looks pretty solid inside and has a few blocks and, you know, keeps the Timberwolves in games that they might not have any business being in. Um, I just have seen this movie with like Booker and Trey where uh, the the whole losing a lot of games, things matters until it doesn't. And I think that's made me, made me a little bit more willing to look past a terrible team than I was in the past, just because, you know, those ones in particular really hit home for me.
1: Yeah, I guess I I also maybe am overvaluing the whole Jimmy Butler debacle and how he came in there and immediately made that team a, a playoff team. But then seemingly he was too competitive for the rest of the Minnesota Wolves players. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh it's tough, but yeah, I I love him as an offensive player. He's uh, he's really fun to watch. I mean, I'll I'll just say it. I have him at twenty three, so I still think okay. he's a top twenty five player in the NBA. And yeah, I am not uh, at all, uh you know, really debating too much that you've got him in the in the late teens. So my seventeen, and this is where I've moved Trey Young to. So okay, <laughs> um, I like it. I like it. Yeah. So then at eighteen, this is where I have Chris Paul.
0: I like it. Um, I had him about five or six spots lower. Uh, but if he's anything like what he was last year, he should still be in the top 20. Um, I guess I've always felt he has another year in him. And at some point, if I keep saying that you won't have another year in you. Uh, (laughs) but that being said, it's not like I'm moving him out of the conversation. I just had him in like the low to mid twenties, uh, so kind of a flip flop for me and Towns and CP3 with you.
1: Yeah, and uh, the the issue with with Paul again previously, I mentioned like all of his injuries coming at the wrong time and not being durable. But like the last couple regular seasons, he's been available for for most of each year, and uh, it was really just like a bunch of fluke stuff that happened in last year's playoffs. That, uh, what was it? Uh, it was obviously the shoulder in the Lakers series. Then it was COVID. Even though he was vaccinated, he still got COVID. They had a breakthrough case. And then there was, uh, I believe, a wrist issue going on during the finals that he played through. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, I still think when healthy, he's one of the best point guards in the league. He brings it on both ends of the floor. He's one of the best leaders. I mean, he, he really did, despite the fact that I think we were both high on, on Phoenix being a good team last year, and, and they, I think, would have made a market improvement even if they hadn't gotten Paul. I think what he did, getting them to the level where they were, you know, win percentage-wise, they were a mid-50s to high-50s level team on, in a regular 82-game season. Like, he he just wins wherever he goes. I value that above all else and uh, he's still i think one thing that also benefits him as far as his longevity is i think his skill set translates to he he isn't super reliant on athleticism even now so even if that drops off a little bit he's still just so skilled getting to his spots and he's so crafty and he's got such great touch in the mid range
0: yeah i should probably move him up a little bit um <laughs> i i just like i'm like you know i hear you talk about chris paul and i think about chris paul and i'm like yeah chris Paul's really good uh, <laughs> uh yeah uh, yeah i i i feel like there's so many good players going into this season and there always is but like it just feels like a lot of players got better and the players that were already good didn't really get that much worse
1: Right. Like we, I mean, a couple of guys that you had in there in your top 12, like Trey young and Zion jumping in there while yeah, guys like Butler and Paul have not really, they're
0: they're, they're just as good. Yeah. <laughs> for, for As far as I'm concerned, maybe this is the year we, they start slowing down, but you know, maybe, uh, and that's why I kind of moved Paul down artificially a few spots, but I, I, I don't like that. I did that. I, I'm not a fan of fading myself like that. Uh, Chris Paul for life. Um, Hopefully he can get that ring even if he can't wonderful hall of fame, first ballot career. Uh, just can't say enough good things about Chris Paul, but I will get to number 18. This is where I had go bear.
1: Okay. So yeah, not, not mm. too far down. I think yeah. he maybe had him like at 16 or something last
0: year. Yeah. Yeah. This is usually where I settle on. Like I know what I'm getting with Gobert. It's a, if he's lower or higher, it's because of other players. Like, right. It's, it's literally <laughs> Zion, Zion
1: Williamson jumping him. That's
0: yeah. It. Yeah. In this case. Yes. Um, I'll get to my 19th player. Cause I'm excited for, for your reaction on this one.
1: Well, and I'll just say too, that I have Zion at 19.
0: So. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Number nineteen is, uh, is is Bradley Beal for me.
1: Okay, yeah. I mean, um, I, I feel like both of us are about where we were last year, and we had a long discussion about and me being very concerned about his
0: defense and, and that sort of thing, and, like, and and me not me thinking that guard defense is a myth, <laughs> or yeah, not but quite, but a, yeah, he's a he's an unbelievable offensive talent. That's oh, right. and just Cody wrote that article about shiftability last year, and he mentioned Bradley Beal in it. So for those who didn't read it first of all, pause this and go read it. Second of all, um, it was talking about players who can like work perfectly as a primary or a secondary or a tertiary guy and can shift up and down in creation responsibility. And Bradley Beal has balances that better than almost anybody I've seen. Maybe Kyle Lowry comes to mind with that DeRozan team um, and that Kawhi team, but like he is able to just direct traffic in an offense without you, without, without you needing to know that he's directing the traffic, you know, as a viewer. He doesn't hold the ball for too long. He doesn't need to dribble around. He will just have a way of making everything work, even if he just quickly reverses the ball one possession because the defense is keyed in on him. But if he needs to then run a pick and roll and slow down the offense, he will be perfectly good at doing that. He is the best example of an offensive chameleon. I think Booker is a lot like that too, which is why I had him 20th and I flip flop between them uh, for, a, for a while. And, you know, like you kind of almost want to make me, me to move Booker up a little bit. Cause he could still have another leap in him being only like 24. Right. But regarding Beal, it's like, I, <laughs> well, like, I, I don't know how else to describe it. He'll just make anything. He'll fit into anything. He'll make almost any situation work.
1: Yeah. Um, he's, uh, I love what you said about the whole, yeah, he can, he can be somebody that acts in like the, the Paul George role. When, when he played with Westbrook where he runs off of screens and that's what you saw a lot of, of Beal doing last year with, with Russ. Um, and, uh, You know, but yeah, he can, he's also improved dramatically with his, his own off the dribble game, pick and roll game. I still feel like, you know, as good as he is as an offensive player, like, um, you know, I still have, and and maybe this is unfounded, but I still have concerns like, okay, if he's your best offensive guy, like how good is your team's offense with just average teammates, you know, or, you know, average expected supporting cast around him. Um, and then like, yeah, I, I think as a, as a number two, I think he's excellent on the offensive end, but then he's also not providing as much defensive value for what you would hope to be your second best player. So that's again, where we, we differ a little bit, but yeah, I, I agree completely with everything you're saying about his, his offensive game. He's, he's fantastic at, he's put together a couple of amazing
0: years, the last couple of, and, uh, you know, not too many people have been, have been watching, I guess what I would say to that is he, his value over replacement for like number two options is just astronomical for me because invariably you will need your second option to be the primary option. Sometimes for a large stints some, especially in playoff series, which Beal hasn't really had the fortune of getting too deep into, but just from a theoretical perspective, uh, just having that release valve, it's almost like CJ McCollum-esque, but I think he's better at everything that CJ does for the Blazers Um, and I think at this point, I don't know what a number two option is, um, in the terms of like, is Jalen Brown, a number two option is Brandon Ingram, another number two option. Uh, I still don't know with those guys, I think you have to have some primary DNA to be a surefire number two option with how good these offenses are getting. And Beal is like the perfect example of that. So I guess that's where I'm at where he is so good at being a number two option in a way that makes a meaningful difference over the average number two option.
1: Yeah. And I guess like, you know, Devin Booker is the same way, but it's one Mm -hmm. of those things too, where you, you're slightly disappointed at the three point percentage, you know, Beal's been around 35% the last couple of years. And um, that's perhaps, that's just because, you know, and, and it's on good volume. So he's probably overall an above average three point shooter, but for a guy of with his stroke, you would hope to for him to be a little bit better in that area. And maybe it's just the usage rate, the the offensive load that he's demanding that drops that down a bit. Whereas, yeah, if he was just in a role where he's spotting up a lot, that would be a lot higher. Uh, but that's, that's probably out of everything on his offensive game. If I had to say one nitpick, that would be it.
0: Yeah. And you still want him to take like that high volume of shots, even if he's only making 35%, just to force the defense's hand uh, because you know, I think maybe some of this is reputation, but nobody's going to leave Bradley Beale open. Oftentimes they're even going to double team him off the screen uh, just because he's Bradley Beal. So I agree. Obviously it would definitely solidify my case for him if he was a slightly better shooter. But I think in terms of what it, how it warps the defense, I think it has a similar impact, even if he was a slightly better shooter.
1: Yeah. And I, will just say it. I have Bradley Beale at 24. Uh, so I, yeah. At 23 are, last year. So
0: yeah, exactly. I think I've always just been a Beal truther, not even truther, because I think the truth is out there and everyone agrees he's incredible, but I I just have an aesthetic preference for his game.
1: So let's get then to my number 20,
0: which is Bam Adebayo. Uh, yep, I had him 21. So uh, I think uh, uh, for the most part, looks like we're going to capture the same 25 or so players in our top 25
1: yeah so um bam like he's he's fallen back two spots from last year's list and yeah maybe i'm again same with Butler. Maybe I'm overvaluing that uh, that rough playoff series he had. But it was frustrating to see the improvement that Bam made in his mid-range shot in the regular season not translate at all to that series where Brook Lopez was just completely laying off of him and giving him those shots, and he seemed hesitant to take them. And when he did take them, he didn't knock them down. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's still... A, a terrific defensive player, although again he's not in the Gobert mold, where he's a top ten defense unto himself. But then his offensive versatility with the dribble handoffs, the lobs—you know—he's he's still a uh, a great sort of uh, folk or, or not focal point, but a a guy that you can run a bunch of actions through and uh, mix things up to make sure that the defense isn't engaged on one set of actions.
0: Yeah, I think I think I had Bam in the high teens as well. And, you know, I think it was really easy to fall in love with him after the Celtics series. And I think a lot of the reasons I liked him then are still true. But looking back, that was like the perfect series for him to be amazing because the Celtics were undersized and relied on scrambling a lot. And the one thing you can't deal with if you're that team is a elite DHO operator who's also an elite rim runner who can make all the passes who, you know, can switch one through five on defense. Like actually everyone says some players can, bam, can actually do that. Uh, That's the one archetype that you just have no answer for is the Celtics. They hard countered with bam and the series was over in six. Um, Now I still think that in that context, bam will look equally as good, uh, but perhaps it's, you know, there are situations where he is still extremely valuable, but maybe not quite, you know, that the, you know, all NBA caliber against some teams and like the bucks, for example, where they're just content to sag off him and make them make him win with, uh, you know, mid range jumpers and bother him with size.
1: Yeah. It's, um, Again, yeah, that's why like I'm 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 worried about overrating one specific series enough because yeah, it can be very matchup dependent. And it seems like yeah, if, if any team was going to defend the likes of Bam and Butler well, it would be the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so I you know, when I was first going over at my rough drafts, I probably had Bam and Butler even lower than I finally ended up with them. And I put them back up thinking, like, yeah, calm down. Don't overrate it too much. <laughs>
0: And if that shot comes along, he'll skyrocket up this list. Cause that's the one thing, you know, one way you can kind of, uh, neutralize a little bit of his game. is just, you know, as soon as you, and obviously he can still be a devastating roll man and passer, but it does really make it easier if you can just give him a little cushion in that mid range and he can't punish you.
1: Right. And yeah, like to me, it's, it's two things for him. If he can you know and and he, again he he did develop the mid-range during the regular season you would hope he continues on that and and you would hope after a couple of years that confidence is just ingrained and even in the playoffs he's he's got the confidence to take and make those shots but then it, defensively yeah his his biggest weakness i would say is he's still not that elite rim protector yes he's a great switch defender but still not uh, not that uh, rim presence that you would hope he would be but he's still incredibly young.
0: Yeah. And still definitely, I would say a plus as a rim defender, if not quite like, you know, but we're comparing him to the likes of like other, you know, like Gobert and Embiid. He's going to really pale in comparison in that regard.
1: Right. Yeah. He's above average for a
0: center, but yeah. You'd, yeah. You want him to be like top five. Yeah. If, if you're seeing him as like this player who gets the heat back to the finals. Yeah but if he does all the stuff we're talking about, we're talking about like a top five NBA player. So it'll be cool to watch if see what he can piece together.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you had Booker at 20, correct? And yeah. And then bam at 21. Mm-hmm. So my 21 is, uh, Chris Middleton. Ah,
0: I knew it. He was 22 for me.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Middleton I've I've always uh, been been pretty high on him I had him let's see I had him uh, 22 last year so one spot up and he just again had another pretty pretty fantastic regular season as the number two guy on the Bucks on a team that won a ton of games and and uh, proved it in the postseason that he can be a number two guy on a championship team and you know didn't put up stellar postseason numbers, but put up pretty decent ones. I thought he was he yeah, was at about 55% true shooting on 26 usage. Like, yeah, not great, but, you know, solid enough, especially since
0: he's giving you a lot on the defensive end as well. We talk about, about a lot about him on Sense and Scalability, and I think one thing we talk about a lot is he would be the last player we'd want to show, like, high school basketball students to watch. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Because he is just an anomaly in how he creates space for himself. It it never, it never looks easy. It never looks like something that would, you know, foster good, healthy offense. But like we talked about with Paul George, you know, even if it looks like he's really struggling to fight for these shots, a lot of them are going into the point where he is oftentimes in offense unto himself. Uh, Obviously you need some sort of you know, creation around him, so it's not entirely that like it was for the Bucks in 2018. I don't know if you remember that series where he shot like 50, 60, 90, and the Bucks almost won. Um, yeah, that uh, I, think his, I was yeah. looking that up. His true shooting for that series was like 72%. Yeah. Yes, exactly. On very high volume, uh, amazing, amazing performance. But you know, we 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 did see games like that. We saw moments like that in this playoffs. So, you know. He's kind of been bouncing around the 20s for me, whether it's 22 or 28 or 27, but 22 this year for sure, and probably for future years as long as he can continue to do this.
1: Well, and I I also was, yeah, he was was definitely up and down in the postseason. He had some stinkers, but a lot of his great games were, you know, the clutch games. They were games like game six of the Nets series when they were down 3-2. You know, he he had some great performances. Game five of the finals was another great performance from him. He uh he seemingly, whenever the Bucks their backs were against the wall, you saw the best
0: of Chris Middleton, and you gotta give him props for that. I just still don't get how he creates space for himself. Um <laughs> he'll just like I, I don't get it. He 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 won't he won't create space for himself. He'll he's have just, like
1: he's 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 quite <laughs> small. I don't think people understand just how he's, he's a legit six, seven
0: with a pretty, I think a decent wingspan. Yeah. It's gotta be at least a plus three, the way he's able to get those shots off. And, you know, he just has a fraction of an inch and he'll, it won't matter. You know, I will always remember watching Chris Middleton, you know, in the, in those games in the finals, I'll remember him against the 2018 Celtics, uh, just when he's clicking, one of the more just fun players to watch in terms of how he kind of breaks your brain.
1: Yeah, and I think it. Uh, we should mention too that I think he improved a bit as a playmaker as well, which was vital given that the Bucks this this roster that they built around Giannis does not have your traditional point guard. So his his improvement as a playmaker, you know, he's he's not a great playmaker by any
0: stretch, but he did make some strides in that area over the last couple of years. And there was a couple of games where, like down the stretch, what were the Bucks doing? They were doing what we what us, you know, degenerate hoop fans have clamored for, for the last like three years, a Middleton Giannis pick and roll. You know, we saw a little bit of that more in the playoffs, um, especially in crunch time and it worked obviously. Uh, And that is something they had leaned on in previous regular seasons, but you didn't quite see it as much in the playoffs. And so they trusted Middleton to kind of take the mantle with that in the postseason, which was cool to see.
1: Absolutely, so yeah we're we're through twenty one on each of our lists, so my number twenty two we'll get to that first because this I, I don't know if this will surprise you. Uh, I had him literally as my number thirty guy last year, but I've got Donovan Mitchell here.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I have him a couple spots lower, but that doesn't surprise me.
1: yeah, so. I mean, I I'm still in the camp of Rudy Gobert is the best player on the Utah jazz, but
0: what Mitchell has
1: done with his offensive game, you know, can't go unnoticed. He has really developed into a pretty deadly off the dribble three point shooter, which has made him a a pretty like, you know, not a great number one option. He's not a Trey young, but a pretty darn good number one option on an elite offense. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not giving you a ton defensively, but he's not terrible there either. Uh, So, so yeah, I think this is a pretty fair place to put him right around the, you know, right inside that top 25.
0: Yeah. I think my, why he never made a top 30 for me before was it's like, is the system making Donovan or is the Donovan making the system? And obviously the jazz have a ton of motion offense outside of him, but, it's gotten undeniable to the point where this team runs off his shot creation in a large way. Um, It's not like you could just put in any kind of scoring type guard and expect a similar result. Uh, He is a special player. He has made huge strides as a passer in the last year or so. Um, I had a lot of fun watching him, which I kind of really enjoyed his rookie year. And then I think I set the bar too high for him and was kind of meh about him the yeah. following years. But I felt like though just the vibes around that jazz team, the way he was making those like, you know, crazy wrist strength passes that he only can do because he played baseball so much. Um, just the two foot gathers, the one foot leaps, the wrong foot layups, um, everything that makes Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell really clicked for me this year. And just a great year from him solidified himself as an all-star caliber player for me. Um, and that's why I have him not too far down from you.
1: Yeah. And, and similar to Middleton, I think he's made small strides as a passer over the last couple of years. And, you know, I, I contemplated putting Mitchell uh, ahead of Middleton and, you know, part of my thought process was, was, you know, well, what have you just put Donovan Mitchell on the Bucks? Like, would they be a better offensive team? And I think it's, it's possible that they would be. Um, now, I, I, the reason I ended up putting Middleton just slightly above and again, this is, uh, you know, very close decision, but like just his versatility defensively, he's a little, a little bit longer, he can guard more positions. But um, yeah, I, I've been really impressed with w- what Mitchell has done. And, you know, I think in a couple of years, or maybe even in, within the next one or two seasons, he could be he could become the the jazz best player.
0: That's a really interesting question about Mitchell and the Bucs. I think it changes the geometry of their offense in a meaningful way, but that's the funny thing about Chris Middleton is he doesn't really like warp the defense in like the way some of these primary creators do, but he still is so productive within his offensive footprint, even if it's not that of like an all-star, you know, you don't, the things that Chris Middleton does, you don't associate with superstardom or all-stardom. I think. PD Webb put it best when he said Middleton's like a confluence of low leverage skills that all work together to make high leverage skills. Like nothing he does is, he doesn't do all-star stuff, but he just produces at an all-star level because he's so good at those things you associate with like lesser players.
1: Yeah, I would say the one thing Middleton does better than probably, you know, 98% of the league is just hitting contested
0: mid that that, Yeah, that's really it. That's his elite skill. (laughs) And that's why his path to all-stardom is so hard to follow for anybody. I don't really listen to any draft comps like, you know, who is it this year? Like Moses Moody. Like, yes, I really, really liked him as a prospect. No, I don't think he will be Chris Middleton because I don't think anybody's Chris Middleton. I think that's just such a rare occurrence that somebody is that good at those types of shots.
1: Right. So we've gotten through 22 for me so who's
0: your number 22 uh so that will be Middleton for me but number 23 is Draymond Green okay I
1: love it so um this is 23 is where I had Carl Anthony Towns okay uh, when we when we were talking before we started recording I mentioned that it was really like the the last spot that I was struggling with on my list. And I'll just spoil it now. My number 30 is Draymond Green. So I, well, I I got him in my list, but I'm I'm happy to see that you're even higher on him.
0: I uh I'm glad you included him. I think something clicked with me last year where he is not the defensive stabilizer that Rudy Gobert is, but if you put a bunch of rangy, athletic wings around him, he can have that type of effect, where he is the defensive organizer. He, I think Andrew Wiggins deserves a ton of credit for how he played last year, but I think his job was made easier by you know having Draymond on the back line, just like making sense of that defense. Like it was the first time Wiggins got to play in a coherent defense. Uh, Juan Toscano-Anderson coming out of nowhere um, becoming another, you know, great backline rotator, uh, another great kind of Draymond type short role creator. Uh, you even had Kelly Oubre have moments for them. I know he's not part of the team anymore and I don't think it was a great fit, but you know, that type of player when in a scheme with Draymond will look, will have opportunities to look really good on defense. So is he doing it all himself the way go bear is, no, but you give him the specific archetypes he needs and he will elevate that team to a good defense.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I, we both, like, I, I think I ended up, I, I brought up the question last year, should I have Draymond or Donovan Mitchell? as my number 30 on my list. And uh, ended up picking Mitchell, so I technically had Draymond as, like, number 31 last year. Um, but that was coming off a season where Steph got hurt and Draymond – really seemingly kind of threw in the towel wasn't really trying that hard but we saw last regular season and we we all know how great of a postseason defender Draymond Green is but he showed last year when he's committed he's still a guy that we we talk about Rudy Gobert being a top 10 defense unto himself I think Draymond might be like a top 15 defense unto himself
0: yep and like I said when you get him like long wings he can be a top 10 defense with that context which you know, he can elevate a Wiggins or a Toscano Anderson, like I said. And like I said, those players deserve credit, but it gets a lot easier with Draymond on the court.
1: The reason I'm probably a little bit lower and I have him just making the top 30 is the offense dipped even more last year. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, the there are major concerns about his ability to even finish around the basket now. Uh, His shot has completely deserted him and, uh, you know, he's still got the ball handling, the passing, all of that stuff. And his ability to play the five on defense allows him to play the five on offense, which is helpful because as a four on offense, he's legitimately bad Uh, as a five on offense, you know, with, with his versatility, I guess he could probably get to average on that end. Uh, But yeah, the, the sharp declines in his sort of ability to, to score the basketball at all are, are a concern. And I think that's something the Warriors have brought up to him and something they want him to improve on. In, in especially this upcoming season with clay coming
0: back. And that's why I like them stocking up and they didn't really stock up on long wings, but in theory, that's why I like them to do that because it becomes easier to play Draymond at the five and have the necessary rim protection. When you have that secondary rim protection, you have that backline help, from, you know, the four, whoever he is, maybe that can be, you know, Jonathan kubinga I don't see that happening anytime soon. Although I definitely was, you know, pleasantly surprised by a summer league showing. Uh, it is kind of funny that they took the raw guy again after maybe it didn't seem like James Wiseman was the best pick in my opinion. Um, but you know, every prospect's different. It could work out different. And maybe even James Wiseman could have a bounce back year, uh, I would probably take guys like, you know, Franz Wagner. I would have taken, you know, like Devin Vassell last year, which, you know, they're probably smart money says, just take LaMelo at that spot. But those are the players that I want to see them surround Draymond with, because that's how he elevates a team by almost by himself, but with the help of some long wings to be an elite defense.
1: Yeah. I would have taken Davion Mitchell. I was very high on Mitchell for, uh... uh, yeah this draft but but yeah it's uh and yeah the Wiseman pick also it's just another one of those things where yeah when one of your top three players their best position is the five why are you drafting a center when it's not obvious that he's better than LaMelo Ball and it seems obvious now that he's not (laughs) but uh, uh yeah uh I'm I'm excited to watch the Warriors this year and I think yeah when when Draymond Green is committed and that was that was the reason again why he made it and we'll get to my honorable mentions when we get done with the list but why he made it over some of the other guys is just, yeah, like when I, when I know that this guy is a major additive on one end of the floor and is making your team as a whole significantly better just by their presence, that that's invaluable. Absolutely.
0: So did we go over your number 23?
1: Yeah. That's where I had Carl Anthony. Taylor. That's
0: right. That's right. So I had Chris Paul at 24. And I had uh, Bradley Beal at 24. Okay. Uh, 25. It sounds like I might be higher on him than you this season. I had Kyle Lowry.
1: So I have Lowry at 26.
0: Okay. So really not pretty close. Uh, For me, it's just buying his, you know, I think Kyle Lowry gets glorified as like this do all the little things point guard, which is exactly what he is, but he's also a historically good off the dribble shooter for a point guard. And kind of has been for his entire Raptors tenure, even last year. And I think that's what the Heat have been lacking is just a guy who makes you pick your poison at the level of the screen in a pick and roll. Dragic was kind of that, but honestly, if he's more of like a mid-range and in type shot creator. He can shoot the three, but he doesn't really have that off the dribble three the way a guy like Lowry does. So not only is... Lowry's still going to be good at that, in my opinion, but it's going to open up a lot of what the Heat do with second side actions with Bam rolling to the rim, um, short roll creation, et cetera, in a way that like you kind of see with Duncan Robinson, but that's more of like a DHO. It's not quite as easy to get into as just a simple spread pick and roll. So I think Kyle Lowry will easily add a important new dimension to their offense and one they clearly lacked last year.
1: Yeah, I find that that's an interesting argument. I would counter by saying that what Dragic was able to do with the dribble handoff game at the elbows with Bam, where Dragic catches it going left, he can throw, he can put up that little floater off the glass or throw the lob to Bam, like those actions in confined areas, being able to threaten the rim and really force that help defender to get all the way under the basket was what opened up a lot of stuff. But yeah, I, I completely agree that the off the dribble three can, can do some things as well. I I'm just very worried about Miami having PJ Tucker, Butler and bam out there. And it's just like, okay, if you throw two at Lowry, what are the, what are the heat getting at that point?
0: Um, That's a good point. They, they really, man, Jay Crowder was fantastic for them. Yeah. <laughs> and we look, we try to, you know, Mr. Potato head back, like the things that made them work, uh, and I think Lowry is a good analog to Dragic in terms of like that, you know, initial dent maker, but they haven't found a replacement for Jay Crowder and maybe that's a lower leverage position, but I think it's super important and they just haven't found a replacement for Jay Crowder.
1: Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And yeah, mm-hmm. as far as, as far as Lowry, you know, uh, I've, I've always loved Kyle Lowry, as you know, I had him 19 last year. So I've dropped him seven spots in part because I I think he was, slightly worse last year. And you could say maybe that's due to the Tampa situation and all of that chaos, the COVID stuff. Um, But also, I think he's, what, 35 now or close to that. Uh, You know, you you would expect a little bit of a drop off. And, uh, you know, I I feel like, you know, when you compare him and Chris Paul, I think both of those guys are (laughs) similar players in terms of they don't use their athleticism a ton but I think Lowry needs it a little bit more than Chris Paul does. And so any loss for Lowry, I think hurts him a, a, a bit more, but yeah, I, I still love his, his help defense his off the dribble shooting. As you said, his movement, he uh, you know, he's, he's one of the w- most well-conditioned athletes in the league. Uh, so yeah. And of course, joining the Miami heat, I think he's, he's going to be uh, along with Jimmy Butler. One of those guys is like, well, it's obvious he's going to pass the heats physical, you know, protocols. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, again, not as high on the heat just because I, I worry about their offense and their spacing in general. And, yeah, that big loss with uh, – or not having a replacement for that Jay Crowder role. But, uh, yeah, I still I still am a huge fan of Kyle Lowry, and um, I love watching him play.
0: So who would you have for 25?
1: So this is where – and, again, this was the guy that shocked you the most last year on my list – but uh, I'm sticking with it. I've got Jalen Brown as a top 25 player, just on, just barely. Well, this year.
0: as you can probably imagine, he did make my top 30 as well um, this year. So, gonna... congrats! Congrats on calling that one.
1: Yeah, um, I feel pretty good about that. And uh, you know, the the more I watch, like I know it's 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 not good to overrate uh, off season workout videos and stuff. But I saw a <laughs> clip of Jalen Brown taking like 30 foot threes and hitting about 10 or 12 in a row. It's like, yeah, this guy is, is, uh, you know, you you don't really think of him this way, but he's becoming an elite,
0: elite shooter. Do you, uh, do you, did you play counter-strike go growing up? No. Did you play like, you know, any sort of like cod, anything? No, are you from, my, are, are, uh,
1: my brother was a couple of years older than me and absolutely annihilated me in Halo, which basically okay. made it so that I did not play any shooters.
0: <laughs> I yeah, that's fair. I, that my, I wasn't allowed to play them. Um, so I was never good at them and thus don't play them now. Uh, but you're familiar with, you know, just people using aim bots, you know? Yeah. yeah, like you've played an online shooter. Like somebody is double the points of everyone else. Uh, that's the way... I can best describe Jalen Brown's start for mid range last season. He just, and just the robotic nature of his release. It looks like he's using an aimbot. bot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it looks the same every time it, it perfect swish. Uh, he shot like 60% over like the first month or so for mid range, maybe like close to 70. Uh, yeah. He's just, he's his path to being an all- star has just been to be one of the best shooters in the league.
1: and and that that improvement also, you know he's not he's not obviously a number one option on a team. He's not really ideally a number two. but when the the Celtics didn't have Kemba for an extended period of time last year, he basically was forced into that number two role. And I thought in a pinch, he was, you know, reasonable in part because of that hot mid-range shooting, but just the fact that you can get that out of him as well, along with when he's in his right role, he does that incredibly well. But when a role player can step into a larger role, if necessary, that that provides its own
0: value. So Jalen's kind of tricky when you talk about a number two, because I think he's absolutely a number two in terms of like scoring load, but. I would predict him to be the tertiary creator for the Celtics this upcoming season. So it kind of gets into a muddy question of like, what's a number two option versus who's what's a secondary initiator versus, you know, cause he's not going to be starting a lot of these pick and roll sets. That's going to be either Tatum or Dennis Schroeder. He's not going to be like the first option on these, like, you know, pistol actions or dribble handoffs. I mean, I'm he definitely for dribble I'm handoff.
1: expecting Schroeder to start? Yes. Okay
0: and he might not, but I really think that he will be an important like straw that stirs the drink. Obviously there are better straws. You know, he's not like one of those bendy straws that you got from friendlies growing up that changes color when you drink through it, but he is a straw that stirs the drink. And I still think a guy who can get two feet in the paint will be extremely vital, um, for the Celtics offense. Cause I don't know if they have a guy who can consistently do that. Otherwise even Tatum kind of, that's not his MO. Um, so but that being said Jalen will be the second leading scorer you know he will be have the second highest offensive workload um so it's kind of a very nebulous question of is Jalen a number 2 or not but in some cases he is and in some ways he's not quite you know what I was saying Bradley Beal was as a number 2 in terms of you know he it requires a different application where you can't just Say, okay, Jalen, Jason Tatum's gonna sit. Let's run 10 straight pick and rolls and get good offense. It's gonna be a little different than that. But, you know, oftentimes reducing players to these archetypes is helpful until it isn't. And you can find ways to incorporate Jalen Brown's skill set and just appreciate who he is as a player.
1: Yeah, we've we've done about 185 or so episodes of Duncan Dynasty. This is the first friendlies reference we've gotten on. <laughs> I
0: appreciate that was it. a that was a big part of my childhood.
1: <laughs> yeah um the uh but yeah the 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 comment about his his sort of role i think yeah it's 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 tough to it's tough to nail down but yeah i just think whatever whatever you want to call it, yeah. it does it well at, uh,
0: at some point he's just a good basketball player
1: exactly uh, <laughs> so so yeah so i had brown at, at number 25 i mentioned kyle lowry was at 26 who did you have there
0: so that's where I had Donovan Mitchell at 26. Okay. So we're th- I'm I'm really interested to for your thoughts on my number 27. Okay, yeah. This was kind of a late addition. and I realized that I couldn't deny this for any longer. Yeah, my it. number 20 Shea Gilgis Alexander.
1: I had him at 28.
0: Yes, yes, Garrett.
1: Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and frankly. You know, if it w- if it was a larger sample size than 35 games, I might've had him higher.
0: He had an enormous creation burden and put up 50, 40, 90, basically. Yeah. The only question is, can he sustain that level of accuracy? Um, even if he doesn't, he still should be around this range with like continued improvement as a playmaker for others, which we definitely saw last year. Like, it's like we talked about with like Carl Anthony Towns, like at some point, you know, with, like, and like with Booker and Trey, it's like at some point, you know, we underrate these guys just because their team aren't winning. And everything he does suggested he could be like a part of a winning team. And then, you know, once it happens, you're like, you know, he skyrockets up everyone's rating. So why not just like put him here now? Because we both think he's this caliber of a player already.
1: Yeah. And, and you said it like the numbers he put up last year, even if that's, a, a, if he drops off a bit, he's still, yeah, he's still a top it, 30 guy. That's how yeah. good his, his performance was. Yeah. My, my only reservations being, yeah, the small sample, 35 games plus, you know, I wasn't overwhelmed by his playoff performance, but again, that was, you know, he's a, he's a different player now. So
0: mean, Yeah. I really didn't like him, uh, in that playoffs. Um, And I definitely dropped him way too low in my personal rankings. So I think this is where he belongs now. I kind of have reset that a lot of that, just thinking about what he does do well and seeing it in much greater capacity this year.
1: So, yeah, you had him 27 item 28. You want to hear my 27 now? Yes. Drew holiday. Uh, Honorable mention for me and one of the hardest cuts. Okay. So, I mean, he was not as good offensively as I was hoping he would be for that, for that Bucks team, but he had that huge Game 5 performance on the offensive end. He had moments, of course. He had that, uh, that spinning lay-in in, in that, uh, that net series that was just a huge play. So he, he hit big shots down the stretch offensively. Despite some of his shooting struggles, he seemingly never lost confidence in his offensive game. And boy, oh boy, defensively, that guy was just a monster.
0: Yeah, I talk about devaluing guard defense. In some cases, it's impossible to. Like, (laughs) point of attack defense, for the most part, doesn't move the needle that much for me, unless it's the best of the best. And Drew Holiday, that was some of the best point of attack defensive showcases I've ever seen um, between the Hawks series and especially the Sun series. I think that maybe I'm underrating him because I, like I said, I expected more from him offensively than we saw in the playoffs. Uh he absolutely, you know, with another good year or even a good week, if I just watch Drew Holiday again and remind myself how much I love him, he could move right back into the top 30. I believe I had him in the 20s last year. Uh, I think I'm just a little bit bent out of shape about, you know, is that 2018 Drew Holiday gone for good you know i thought that he would kind of resume the mantle he would take over as their kind of de facto point guard and show a lot of what we saw in that blazer series but i don't think he's ever going to be a 47 percent shooter for mid-range like he was in that year um that doesn't mean that he's not still justifiably around this range
1: yeah um the i guess the the counter argument to that could be that like and and we've talked about this in the past about championship teams and how, you know, that takes some pressure off of you once you've won, once you've won it and you've got that confidence, you've got that swagger, that knowledge of the battles and, and what you've been through. Maybe that like frees holiday up and and some of some of the the playoff struggles at times did feel like jitters or just like, you know, not quite trusting his shot at moments. Um, but uh you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually contradicting myself. Cause I said it, t- he didn't, he, he never lost confidence, but yeah. <laughs> well at, at the end of games, he never, he didn't lose confidence. I guess yeah. there, were, there were moments like in the second and third quarters of random playoff games where it felt like, Oh, he, he just like alligator armed that jump shot and it airballed by four it,
0: feet. It, it did seem like he was just making, he was missing a lot of head scratchers. Um, And I still have this ton of respect for him. Uh, So I'll just say that, you know, Jalen Brown's 29, Shea Gillis-Alexander's 27, 28 and 30 are both guys who I think right now, based on what we've seen are not better than Drew Holiday, but they're two guys that I'm kind of calling my shot as, you know, kind of making a leap this year.
1: Okay. So, so yeah,
0: let's, let's hear one of them. Cause yeah, we all right 28 for me. So, so 28 for me. And you know, this won't have to be that big of a leap because he was an already an all-star last year. But that's Zach Levine. And you've added you added Vooch, who is, you know, a playmaking big who can stretch it a little bit. You have an elite play connector in Lonzo Ball who can take all the tough point of attack assignments. And DeRozan, for you know, we've kind of talked about him as like a borderline guy. And I don't think he's on this list for me, but he does get two feet in the paint and create advantages and find openings. Um you surround him with all of that. It just seems like the perfect environment for Zach Levine to thrive. And what does that mean? It means, you know, running some pick and roll, but not being an every down back like he's had to be in the past. It means, you know, working off ball a little bit more. I still think he's an unbelievably good shooter, Uh, unbelievable at getting downhill and finishing, obviously, with his athleticism. And so I just think that if they can do this right, this will be Zach Levine in his best form. And he could put up some like ridiculous numbers on ridiculous efficiency. And we could be talking about this season for a while. It's like, oh, remember when they just everything clicked for the Bulls and Zach Levine looked amazing. And you know, who knows if they'll be able to sustain this? Some of the guys are a little older, but I think they have a really wonderful opportunity on offense. Uh, Levine, especially.
1: Yeah. So he was one of my toughest cuts so I I did like my honorable mentions in tears I had five guys that I thought were the toughest cuts and he was amongst those five so I'm pretty close uh yeah he's he's become an unbelievable offensive piece uh and again I think our just our differences in valuing guard defense like why I have Drew Holiday at the top yeah. third, maybe and why I don't have Zach Levine is you know he's he's still to me, and I will say he he looked better defensively in the USA setting than he has with Chicago. And you know um, when I was doing the tiers with Justin Matcham, he he brought up the idea that you know with with less of an offensive load with DeRozan there, maybe that allows him to put a little bit more effort into defense and being a little bit better there. But all all signs and all of the advanced statistics still
0: point to him being an incredibly lousy defensive player. And that's fair. And and another thing about the offense that kind of buried the lead, he became a really good passer last year, which, okay, maybe not like really good, but like serviceable if you're going to run a lot of pick and rolls through him. Like, I don't see that as a major weakness in his game. The ball was leaving his hands really early. He was hitting the roll, man. Um, And I think that that, points to, you know, being able to adapt to a slightly different role. And I also think maybe, you know, we could see a little bit more defensive awareness uh, and with a little bit more energy dedicated to that end. Uh, Obviously it doesn't like work, like all of a sudden you become a better passer and then you become a better defender. Sometimes they are related, but like the connection can take a little bit of time. Um, It is something I believe that, you know, offensive and defensive awareness can translate, but to, to, to the other end of the court. But you know, it's not a given. And definitely not still known for his defense. I think that's going to be an issue for the Bulls in general. Uh, but at least, you know, if they're going to play an over and drop, they have a guy who can actually do the over part in Lonzo Ball now, which is something they haven't had for a while. Uh yeah, I'm just excited to watch them, I guess, in in so few words. Uh so yeah, who I, is I, your t- I just
1: had one more comment about Levine before we Oh yeah, that. sure, sure, sure. Um the the you mentioning his improvement in his passing and yeah, he's made again, similar to a Donovan Mitchell, a Chris Middleton. He's, he's slowly made incremental steps as a passer. I also think a big thing with him as a passer is just the idea that he's so athletic. He can get his shot off whenever he wants. And it's just a matter of like finding that balance
0: of when I should just pull up versus make the, make the feed. It really does. Like basketball looks very easy for him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how else to say. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, So did we go over your number 28?
1: Yeah, that was Shea Gilgis-Alex. Okay,
0: that's right. So 29 was Jalen for me. We already went over him.
1: Okay, so my number 29 is a guy that uh, I think we've both had on our lists for the last few years, but it sounds like you might not this time around. Pascal Uh Siakam.
0: Yeah, I didn't have him on my list. Um, And he was like a rung below my honorable mentions. Uh, but yeah, I just maybe I'm just have Raptors fatigue, but I just want him to be in the role he was two years ago again. I miss third option Pascal Siakam so much,
1: yeah. And I think I'm also hanging on to the idea that like his struggles in the bubble were largely predicated on the fact that he didn't get to touch a basketball for four months prior to going to Orlando, and then last year there was so much. Weirdness with with COVID and the Tampa setting, so I'm almost like giving him an asterisk for the last year and a half. Which
0: that's you know, fair. I probably should do the same.
1: <laughs> it, maybe it's maybe it's way too generous, but uh, I I still really like what he does on both ends of the floor, and uh, I'm I'm sort of anticipating a, a bit of a bounce back here for him.
0: I, I would really like that, honestly. I think just watching him play, he's still definitely a top 40 ish player for me, but I only, I kept my honorable mentions like very short. I only have like five or six guys because I wanted to really stress that these guys, I really strongly considered all of them at one point. Um, and I think I was always kind of like in that Siakam's probably more in the top 40 ish range for me mindset. Uh, yeah, that's, I think we'll just have to see, you know, I'm looking forward to watching him play. I don't love the Raptors stylistically. Uh, their offense gets really sludgy for my preference. I'm, I'm a, I'm a beautiful game type of guy, Yeah, but you know, I'll have to check in on Siakam for sure.
1: Yeah. The Raptors are much more like if you appreciate the, the defensive uh, highlights, that's what you ask yeah. the Raptors for.
0: Uh, yeah. Which is why I don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we already mentioned that my number 30 was Draymond green. So, Let's hear who you have as your last spot on the list. All right. I have Brandon Ingram. Okay. So again, I mentioned I had three tiers of honorable mentions. He was in my third tier of of honorable mentions. But uh, I get that. I, I, I get it as well, having him up here,
0: Yeah, I just think he's due for like, there's something bubbling under the surface there. Just when you look at his usage rate, uh, only a few other guys are like you know putting up that level of efficiency on like a 29% usage rate. So this is the message that my friend Michael sent me for forwards that played at least a thousand minutes. His usage is high, only behind Durant, Paul George, Tatum, Kawhi, and DeRozan, and then he's in the 70th percentile for all forwards for points per shot attempt, and then. 20, 92nd percentile for assist percentage for all forwards, middle of the pack with turnovers, uh, 92nd percentile and team points per possession. And then, if you look at you know, forwards and wings that play meaningful minutes and high usage under 27 or 27 and under, he's in that top tier with like Tatum, Devin Booker, Jalen Brown, and Zach Levine with Doncic in his own tier. So the idea is like there is an exoskeleton of a really, really good offensive player here. There's a lot of reasons why it might not work. Mainly he's still not the best with the ball in terms of his handle. Uh, He's a budding passer. I think you're seeing a a, a few like, you know, basic pick and roll reads really solidify themselves for him and he can get pushed off his spot. I mean, easily what I think saves some of that is he is a deadly mid range shooter. Uh, when you look at, you know, last season, he shot 47% on all middies. Um, and just if he can create, have more space with Devonte Graham there now. Uh, if he can just get in those situations where he's running a pick and roll with Jonas or with Zion and he gets into that like elbow area and they have to like step up and guard that or, you know, let him have it. You know, I just think that there's a way for his offense to look a lot healthier than it did in the past. And I'm just kind of, you know, I've always been kind of skeptical of like, what is, does he actually lead to winning, et cetera. And you could say like, shouldn't the Pelicans be better if I'm saying they have a, the 12th best and the 30th best player in the league next year. Uh, A lot of their problems come from almost everything else. Uh, But I am buying stock in Brandon Ingram this year. I just, I don't know if it's this year, but he is just gonna, I think there's another leap there for sure.
1: I mean, they were, a, they were a top 10 offense last year, and it certainly wasn't just Zion. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. But, um, I think part of the maybe skepticism that people have about those two, and, that, and a lot of people have said, like, they're not a good fit, is that they don't necessarily make each other's lives better. Again, yeah,
0: referencing- I, I've been on that train, too. There's not, like, a specific thing that you can point to and like, saying, like, oh, that's a situation where Brandon Ingram and Zion's skill set really play well into each other. I'm hoping that that can be Brandon Ingram's like pick and roll operation, especially like you know, kind of do that Booker thing where he probes a little bit in the mid range and you know looks for that role man. I think that could be some a chemistry that they established, but we didn't see a ton of it last season. I'm just hoping that a slightly healthier offensive environment and scheme plays to Ingram's advantage next year.
1: But I also think like making each other better, like especially when you're talking about star offensive pieces is not something that's needed you know that's a good point they both can just do what they do and do it well and and there isn't something terribly wrong with a taking turns offense if both options are efficient and effective and And they don't yeah dagger those two guys you've got one on the floor at
0: all times and they don't really get in each other's way Right. right There's not the Brandon Ingram isn't scoring on the perimeter at the cost of Zion getting buckets inside. Yeah, uh, you, not, you can have a healthy helping, diet of both.
1: They're not helping each other, but they're not hurting
0: each other. Either. Exactly. It's a very fascinating team construct for a lot of reasons, but that one, especially, um, I, I don't know. I think uh, I'm, I'm very excited to watch Brandon Ingram play with like, you know, uh, this retooled roster and maybe they won't be that good, but I think he'll be pretty good.
1: Yeah, so the uh, let's get to our honorable mentions then. And, and again, I said I got to 50, but I'll just, for the sake of you only having six, I'll go from 31 to 40, and I can just rattle them off now. Uh, okay. So my first sort of tier of five guys that, I, that were my toughest cuts would be John ja Morant, Zach Levine, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and Fred Van Fleet.
0: Oh, interesting. I had all of those on my honorable mentions or on my list, except Murray because of the injury, which, you know, he would definitely be on honorable mentions or top 30 if he was healthy. He was on my top 30 last year, maybe moved down a few spots, but still not that much lower. And then I, I don't know, like Fred Van Vliet absolutely warrants this. I just didn't really consider him. I actually was more likely to put his teammate OG Ananobi, if anybody, um, he was also on this list. in my
1: third tier of honorable. Okay. Men, so that's
0: geez. that's fair. Um, and maybe that's a little bit I'm I'm a little bit jumping the gun on him, but I'm just waiting for him to just have this self creation uh bump that would be so cool if he did. Uh Michael Porter Jr. was absolutely on my short list. So was Ja. Uh I will I'll say Drew Holiday because you know, I also mentioned that he was on that list. Um Clay Thompson, uh is gonna be back in the fold for the Golden State Warriors. And I was tempted to put him just top 30 by virtue of his shooting prowess alone. But then I remembered like by that logic, wouldn't Duncan Robinson be close to top 30? And, you know, there are some things that Clay Thompson needs to show he can still do to get back on this list for me. And, you know, he could do them, but honorable mention for now. Um, De'Aaron Fox was on my uh, short list of honorable mentions kind of in that Jammer rant range. I see them as like you know, I think it's a good question. Like, who would you rather have going for Ja Morant or Fox? Probably, um, maybe you could say Ja is, you know, a year younger and therefore has a higher ceiling, but they're very, very close for me. Um, and then, uh, do we talk about Ben Simmons now? Uh,
1: yeah. So he I, was... let me, let me, let me <laughs> rattle off my second tier <laughs> of, yeah. two of the guys you mentioned are in there, but yeah, I've got, uh, I've got Fox. I have uh, CJ McCullum. Yep. I have Julius Randle. Yep, absolutely. DeAndre Ayton.
0: Oh yeah. I, I considered him. I forgot about that. And and then,
1: then, and uh, and then Ben Simmons, that was my second tier of honorable mentions. So yeah, let's, let's talk about Ben Simmons because I'm sure a lot of people, and and there's been a lot of uh, debate about him this off season, but uh, I've consistently been, and actually, you know, when I was listening over to our uh, one, we did last year, I had Simmons at 28. You had him up at, at as high as 19.
0: I might have been peer pressured from my uh Philly friends. The same Philly friends told me to take him off my top 30 this year. Um, <laughs> um but uh I wanna stress that since he's an honorable mention, that means he's like low 30s for me. Like he's probably 31 or 32. Uh no, I, I am, think he's I
1: have him around between 35 and 40 in that range.
0: Yeah. I want to stress that I think. He's a better like and this is where it becomes tough for me is he's more talented than Brandon Ingram or Jalen Brown or Zach Levine for me. But like pick a team where you'd rather have Ben Simmons than Jalen Brown. Find me a team. Yeah, you're not gonna like like maybe Minnesota. Like and at some point just being helpful to the overall outcome of a team is yeah, it's, it's inseparable from being good. Like every team, I'd rather just have one of these guys I've had in my like 25 through 30 range. And it makes me realize that like, you know, when you talk about Ben Simmons, you also have to talk about the, the cost of, and this has been beaten, you know, to a pulp, but the cost of what that means for your team Especially in the half court offense, if you have Ben Simmons, like, is it worth surrounding him with shooters, quote unquote, if you top out as, you know, it's a good regular season team that doesn't have a plan B in the playoffs? Like, I would, in every case, rather have Jalen Brown on my team than Ben Simmons. And I feel kind of. How about
1: this? A guy that you mentioned earlier. I think, for, you know, in most cases, I would rather have. OG Ananobi then. I,
0: I can see it. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, you might rather have some guy like, you know, McCall Bridges, let's say, you know, OG Ananobi, just a guy who won't take as much off the table, won't add as much to the table, uh, certainly, but you know, allows for a different type of flexibility. Um, it's really tough because I've kind of always gone to bat for Ben Simmons. And I feel like, you know, there's some people who are still lower on him than me, but I'm my opinions of what he is is kind of on ice. And what I've always said to myself is, you know, he does create a weird fit on offense, but he's smart enough and skilled enough to make it work regardless. And some of the things that I always thought allowed him to make it work are in question for me. Um, whether it's that, you know, athletic, athletic finishing at the rim, whether it's that, uh, you know, the, how the free throw shooting, which I didn't foresee being this big of an issue, uh, affects his tendencies, etc. Um, I just like some of the things that like allowed Simmons to make it work or make it work in my head, no matter where he goes are in question for me on offense. And when you're dealing with like this thin of a margin, we're talking about like the top 7.5% of the NBA, things like that can really just kind of slightly push you out of this range for me.
1: Well, yeah. And, and again, when you're talking about, even when you get to like, again, I would say even around the 25, uh, 25 to 30 range, like that level of player that level of player like a Jalen Brown who I had at 25 they're not good enough to build a roster around and so that's that's the huge issue with Simmons is like yeah sure like could he thrive in a half court setting with a perfect environment yes but factoring in like NBA salaries he's making 35 million dollars You need a stretch five that can shoot the heck out of the ball. You need another on ball player that is like a top 20 guy in the league to be a championship contender. At that point, it's like, you know, how many teams can feasibly make that
0: happen? It's like there's there's hardly any. And even cutting salary out of the equation, like you put Jalen on the Kings. I think that allows Darren Fox to be a better version of himself than Darren Fox and Ben Simmons, a lot of the other stars are stars because of how they can control the paint or, you know, drive and kick. And when you're not one of those stars, it becomes more about how you can play off of that.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, he's a good rebounder for a point guard, but it's like, you got to realistically play him at the four. So like at that point he's, he's a decent rebounder, but is he providing a ton of access or excess value. Not really.
0: And Uh, he is an outrageously good defender. Um, And both of us absolutely admit that it's just, I just still, my brain hurts just from revisiting all these Ben Simmons scenarios.
1: But yeah, the, the, the last thing I'll say is he's, to me, he's an outrageously good individual one-on-one defender. Oh, I think he's a good team defender too. I mean, he's he's a good team defender in the context of yes, he gets into passing lanes, he gets steals, he gets in there, gets strips, but he's not the he's not the rim protector. He's oh not yeah, that's the anchor. fair. Anchor,
0: that's and, fair. Like and
1: so that limits your value. And also, again, like I said with Draymond Green when I was talking about him and why he made my list is that Draymond Green his ability to play the five on defense allows him to be a five on offense. And that I, inherently makes him a better offensive player. Whereas Simmons inability to play the five defensively forces him to play the four, or some other position, which then creates all of these other roster issues.
0: And this is another hoop you have to jump through, but I think there are ways to play Simmons at the five on defense. Um, they involve players that Philly don't, doesn't have and are rare in general. Like, you know, when you look at how Robert Covington allowed PJ Tucker to play the five, for Houston. Yeah, there's
1: there's not many Robert Covington. There's
0: not many Robert Covington. So if you can acquire that player, Simmons becomes extremely viable at the 5 for me. Um but he needs more that type of player at more than Draymond does.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean that uh that was an interesting discussion and yeah, like again, neither of us are suggesting that Ben Simmons sucks at basketball. No, uh yeah. He's very good. <laughs> like
0: to be We love we love Ben Simmons. Please leave us alone.
1: To be the top a uh, top forty player in a league with like four hundred guys and the best league in the world is incredible, but yeah, uh, yeah. Let's let's calm down. Saying that he's like one of the top three defenders in the NBA
0: or that he's you know all well, I I I kind of would say that though. That's just me. I mean, we. I would say it's Gobert and Bede than him. Maybe Giannis. Maybe that makes Simmons four. Draymond Green. Draymond is up there for sure. I think, uh, yeah, no, we'll say top five. I think that Draymond isn't as, 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 as terrible as we talked about, you know, Draymond's offensive game being, I think that's tough. Like if I'm saying Draymond's a 20, top 24 player, top 25 player, and I'm saying, you know, Ben Simmons isn't, but I think they're similar on defense. I don't know. Maybe I, Draymond.
1: I, I, I think okay.
0: significant. Hit. Okay. Maybe like, there if are if ways talking
1: about like, okay, so just think about this, what Draymond did in that play on, play in game against the Lakers versus yeah. what Ben Simmons was able to do against the Atlanta Hawks. That, that's fair.
0: I think Simmons, it's from trash. what he showed is the best possible defender that he can be in his role. But when you're not the or- defensive organizer per se, it's much harder to reach a level that we see from like Draymond or you know the rim protector types
1: right and Um, that's my main argument yeah yeah
0: yeah i'm kind of echoing that now i'm seeing what you're saying um yeah i guess i would say draymond's a little better of a defender in terms of his floor racing capabilities especially than ben i would say
1: miles turner is a more impactful yeah player than yeah
0: i would say yeah just because of the it's like a quarterback in the nfl like you're just going to be you're going to be disproportionately impactful if you are the rim protector. The argument for Simmons could be his value over the replacement four is higher than Capella's value over replacement five. But in terms of sheer impact um, they have a similar effect on their team.
1: Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Was there, was there any, I, I don't feel like I need to go through my 41 through 50.
0: <laughs> We've- yeah. Yeah. Just, I have to say, I have to mention Demonis a because I had him 30 last year. Uh, yeah, I don't have to say anything else. I just have to mention him Vucevic, you know, Capella. We just talked about him. Uh, I talked about Vuce a little bit when we talked about Zach Levine. Uh, I will be interested to see who emerges as like, I I guess it'll be either Vuce or Zach who emerges as what people consider the best player on the bulls and how that credit is kind of distributed between their four best players.
1: Yeah. Um, and like there's, there's not too many rookies or second year guys that I even really considered I guess I
0: considered Cade Cunningham okay interesting uh, but only considered him then I was yeah. like yeah there's too many good players I'll give him a year
1: yeah like LaMelo Ball Tyrese Halliburton it would require a significant leap but yep. I mean, it's possible <laughs> um yeah but uh yeah. no
0: um, not yet for me
1: yeah but uh Scott, this was a blast as always really fun breaking this down with you. Thank you so much. Was there, was there anything else? uh, Yeah. I
0: remember remember the big crux again. I remember the big crux again between Draymond and Ben Simmons. Uh, Ben Simmons shot 35% in the Hawks series from the free, from the free throw line. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to be the separator as well.
1: Right. Yeah. It's amazing to think that Draymond Green is like a a vast improvement from the, from a shooting perspective over somebody, but that is the case here.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, I I hope Simmons can kind of, you know, whether it's on the Philly or a better team kind of shore up some of the issues that plagued him on offense in terms of like, you know, wiring to score confidence, which is what it seems like plagued him in the playoffs. But Yeah. Right now, my opinion of him is kind of on ice. Like I'll gladly bump him back a few spots if he can show that he's like made some progress in that area, but I'm kind of like coming to terms that he absolutely does not work on the Sixers and they need to find another arrangement.
1: Well, yeah. And he's already announced what he's not reporting to camp. So exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be, it'll be fascinating to see, but, uh, yeah, Scott, was there anything you wanted to, to mention? I know we already brought up sense and scalability. Yeah, that's all
0: I got going for me now in terms of hoops. Um, i probably going to get North Station hoops going again, talk some Celtics. Uh, not much written work for me for the time being, so uh, just check those out.
1: All right, well, yeah. Uh, again, thanks so much for, for coming on and taking the time.
0: Absolutely, Garrett. You have a good Thanks so much for listening to Duncan
1: Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars, and uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find... Me on Twitter, at Garrett Bouguet, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be, uh, tweeting various, uh, NBA thoughts, as well as some, some thoughts on some other, uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television, so, uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the, the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host, Corbin Ford, on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he, uh, he does, a, d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers, so if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he uh, he does some some fun work over there, so so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for for listening, and have a great rest of your day.